This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Do we even talk about the football games anymore around here? It's a subplot, a footnote here in this season that has gone awry for the Jacksonville Jaguars. 14 to nothing right off the rip. And then, you know what? The team played hard, tried their best, all those good things that you say to teams that are bad, but uh, don't get blown out. And that's just the way it is. Jaguars are a bad football team. They don't have enough firepower right now, whether it's the injuries or whether the players that they do have are just not good enough. Uh, they lose 24 to 12 to Atlanta, to the Atlanta Falcons. One more week to go, folks. It's almost over. That's my Christmas present to you. Happy holidays. Happy Christmas week. Merry Christmas week. Uh, happy Hanukkah. Uh, happy holidays uh, to all of you out there. Uh, hopefully it's a festive time for you and your family. And uh, people a little hop in their step today on a Monday because most of them know that the work week will be a little bit shorter. And uh, hopefully that also means uh, there's a little more family time ahead. I think for the folks that listen to this show and we talk to every day and see at the water cooler, meet at the grocery store, everywhere else, and talk about the Jags. We might all have a little hop in our step because it is almost over. (laughs) This is the final week of the Jaguars season, and uh, it got old in a hurry, and by December it was really old. We thank uh, the Jags for the storylines of Tom Coughlin and Jalen Ramsey and Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles and all the rest here during the season, but... It's that time, and and you got to believe even the players want to get out of here. We have to wait an extra three hours or so because the NFL flexed the game to the afternoon because of uh, tiebreaker ramifications in the wild card playoff race. Hope you had a good weekend. I'm not surprised at all what happened with the Jaguars. I think the firepower on offense for Atlanta is much better, and it proved to be 500 yards of total offense. Uh, second time this uh, season, I think the Jaguars have given up over 500 yards of offense. Amazingly, I only gave up 24 points, and a touchdown of that came on a short field. A couple of turnovers helped the Jaguars out. And you know what? They actually tried to mimic what they did in Oakland last week with a fourth-quarter touchdown. Then they were threatening again, and they come up empty on four downs, or it might have been even more of a football game. And then we might have been even questioning a little bit more the decision to go for two early in the game. I think even the decision to kick the field goal down in the red zone the first time by Doug Marone because it didn't look like they would get down there very often. We question those kind of uh, decisions. Brent Martineau here. Coos is here. Austin Lane is on the slope somewhere in Wisconsin. He is having the time of his life. You know, one thing we've learned about Austin, he's got the snowboard here, by the way. It must have another one. I think he was going <laughs> to buy one, remember? He actually did, too. I, oh, he I did asked buy him. it? Okay, yeah. yeah. I think he did buy a new one. Um, and I don't think he's been using that one anyway. No. But uh, one thing we've learned about Austin, and this has been a get-to-know-you kind of year for all of us, right? It's not like we, we knew a lot about each other before we started this thing in January, which, believe it or not, we're coming up on that uh, one-year anniversary. And we're throwing a party because of it. More on that uh, down the road. But his eyes light up, man. That face lights up when you talk about snowboarding. He loves to snowboard. Yeah, he really does love it. And, I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I just, every time I go, I hurt myself. So I've never been snowboarding. Now, I grew up skiing a little bit. Yeah. And uh, it's okay at skiing. I like skiing. I, I wasn't, like, so passionate about it that I had to go, like, 15 times a winter. But they were close enough where we could go a couple of hours. And uh, sometimes you'd go. I remember going with, like, a CYO trip, uh, like a church trip. And I think I went another time. My parents took us one time. Uh, so I'd go here or there, but nothing crazy. And, and I liked it, but I never was like, oh, I got to be here every weekend. 
Yeah, we had a lot of friends that were big into it back home, but I just, it was always like, honestly, it was kind of like golf to me in the fact that if I was going to do it, it was going to cost me a good amount of money to do. That's true. So I never really got into it. Yeah, and uh, the one thing is, a bit of bad parenting so far, and I can't talk Steph into it uh, just yet. We haven't figured out a way to go, a time to go, but I want to take my kids skiing um, so they can experience it. Now, we're going to Asheville in January for a few days. If the setting is correct and right and and, it, and we can go, uh, we, we're going to try to do that for, for a day. So that might be it. But I even want to go out to like Colorado or Utah or one of those places and ski. I grew up skiing in New Hampshire and Vermont. Very good. Um, but I would really like to go ski out there someday um, and experience it that way. I just don't. I think we're running out of time with the kids. Not that I mean. They're only 14, but high school hits and all that yeah. stuff, and it just gets too crazy to go do one of those kind of trips. So I'm not sure we'll even do it, but uh, it's bad parenting so far. I wanted to take my kids at least to experience skiing at this point. Well, we went. What we went to? What we went to Colorado in May, and it snowed. So you might not have. Uh, you might have a pretty big window if you're trying to get out there in time. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's May and it's snowing right now. What is this? You can do that. By the way, what do you think of the Christmas uh, sweater? I like it. Pulling it off here, a little grave digger. What did did they, uh, did they send that to you? I'm guessing. Yeah, you know, I forget. I think it was like two years ago, maybe three I years ago. I remember seeing those. And uh, you know, the folks from Monster Trucks uh, when it was coming to Jacksonville, which by the way is probably coming pretty soon, uh, usually late January, early February. And uh, yeah, they dropped us off uh, some of the, the Christmas sweaters. I was like, all right, let's do it. So I got grave digger. I'm jamming today. Here on on the show, we are going to have Mike Norvell, the new Florida State uh, football coach. I don't know from a professional standpoint if I should rock the Christmas sweater during that, so I may change. Um, I, I I don't want to think. Uh, I don't know how coach will will feel about that. So uh, we'll have to. Uh, I'm still deciding. I'm debating, but it'll be good to have Mike Norvell on five o'clock hour. Uh, we'll have the new Florida State head football coach. Uh, appreciate him joining us a couple of days before the holiday. A really cool story. Austin Reed is a young man from St. Augustine High School. He he went to uh, Southern Illinois. I really need to check this. I think it's Southern Illinois, uh, the Salukis. No, no, Indiana State. Oh, gosh, I got to check it out. One of the two um, to, to start his collegiate career. Didn't play much. Transferred to West Florida in Division Two, And he leads him to a national championship. Uh, really cool story. And I love it because we talk recruiting so much. And we talk about the Power Five schools. And around here, everybody wants to go to Florida, Florida State, Georgia, all these places that everybody wants to go. And they want to play. And you want to walk out that tunnel. And you want to hear the crowd. But what I always say to kids is go find your perfect fit, man. Go find a place you fit in well. And Austin Reed has done that. And I'm excited for him. I'm happy for him. I think it's a cool story. I think more kids need to find their fit. You can, if you play high school sports around here, in my opinion, in almost any sport, and my, this is what I tell my kids. I'm not even thinking about college. If they can play high school softball and high school baseball in this area, my belief is they can go play college baseball and softball somewhere. That doesn't mean they're going to Florida. Doesn't mean they're going to a Division One school. But if they want to go play somewhere, I believe they'll be able to play, even if you just experience high school sports around here. I know that's not a 100% thing, but that's my view of it, and I think that's how it can happen. So go find a play. If you still love to play, if you want to play at the next level, which I also encourage at any level going to play because it's a great experience most of the time. You don't have to go where everybody's trying to go to the Floridas and the Tennessees and everywhere else. 
go where it fits for your game, and you're going to hopefully play and have a great time. And uh, I love that about Austin Reed. He's going to join us around 4.15. I want to talk to him a little bit about it and uh, set a whole bunch of records. Pretty cool story coming out of St. Augustine. Austin Reed uh, wins the national championship. All right, the Jaguars have not been a cool story this year. They've been a disappointing story. We know that. And where does it go from here? Again, so much of the storyline for the Jags is off the field. It's about what's going on in 2020, whether it's Gardner Minshew's audition continues. How did you think he did? Uh, where do the Jaguars go with even a Leonard Fournette final year of his contract? Will they pick up the fifth year option? I think they will. We're getting into that time of year where we start talking about the draft as well coming up. We've stayed away from that until this point, but the Jaguars currently sit in the six hole in the 2020 draft out in Las Vegas. They climb the boards and the six hole is a pretty good spot. What are they going to do with those picks? Because they also have the Rams pick, which will be a top 20 pick after the situation with the Rams losing and not going to the postseason in the NFC. So you have those kind of questions. Do you keep Calais Campbell? Do you sign Yannick Ngakwe? All of those things. But then the big question above it all is who's making the decisions. And we told you last week when Tom Coughlin was fired by Shad Khan that there was a lot of momentum and feeling that in the building at Jags headquarters with the people we talked to quite a bit, uh, they feel that there is a feeling Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell will be back in 2020. I, I relayed that to you. I've shared it on social media, shared it on the TV side on CBS 47 and Fox 30. And I would think if you follow along with this, nothing deterred you from believing what we've been telling you. If you listen and watch the national folks, the Ian Rappaport's, the Adam Schefter's, they're all falling in line with it. Now, I do hedge it with this. And make sure you make make sure you when you quote me and tweet me if this doesn't work out that you put this in there. Nobody is saying it's official. Could something change? Are we reading it correctly with Shad Khan? Are we hearing the right things? Are these things being set as the narrative, but they're really not true? I think all that could happen. Certainly, Shad Khan could decide on Sunday night, say, hey, we're starting over. A Black Monday, we're starting over. We're hitting the reset button. What we're here to tell you is there's just not a lot of momentum for that. Instead, it's the opposite, that they're going to ride this thing through in 2020 with Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell. That's the way it feels right now. That's the way it could be heading. I I also tweeted something yesterday about after the game where I don't believe the game's results from yesterday or in Indiana, against Indianapolis this coming Sunday matter in the decision-making of Shad Khan. I really don't think so. Now, you could paint me a circumstance that it's 50 to 10 and Indianapolis wins or if Atlanta blew them out like 50 to 10 or 50 to 3 or something like that, uh, that uh, maybe they would go. But I'm telling you, I don't believe these two games have an impact or will have an impact on Shad Khan's decision. In fact, in my view, Shad Khan already has his mind made up. I'll tell you more of that why and why he might be thinking of keeping Marone and Caldwell when we come back. Your thoughts on it. I'll also share some of the reaction to that tweet, some of the things you've also been saying on social media. But you're welcome to jump in. Star Star 690-904-362-9901. It'll be our last show before the holidays. So get in on the Jags talk today. What do you think? Not only about the game yesterday, the game Sunday coming up, but the future. 2020. Let's get a head start on that conversation. Marone and Caldwell, are they coming back? 
What do you think? We'll talk about Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 when we come back. You know, I thought offensively in the first half, we didn't really do anything. You know, we had the one first down. We were able to run the ball a little bit. We weren't able to really, um, you know, pick up some manageable third downs. But defensively, you know, we were fighting. We gave up too many, you know, chunk plays. You know, we tried to, you know, double uh, Julio. And we've seen other teams double him during the year, and he still was able to get, you know, the type of numbers that you saw today. So that's a credit to, you know, the type of player he is. That's Doug Marone talking about the latest loss. Someday I want to go have a beverage with Doug Marone and ask him, how hard it was to come up with a somewhat new, fresh answer to all of this. It's got to be one of the toughest things to do. I mean, I mean, Gus Bradley's era, it got, it got old every time he went to the podium. Doug Marone has put a lot of the blame on himself, and quite frankly, it's gotten old. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I think he probably knows it, too. I mean, he doesn't know what else to say. I'm not saying – I couldn't advise them, really, to say something different, but – it just sounds so old, and it gets so repetitive when we've heard it so many different times. How about this? We had this on Countdown to Kickoff yesterday, and then again last night on Action Sports Jacks Primetime, CBS 47 and Fox 30, by the way, Saturdays and Sundays all year long. I still believe it's the only show in the country, half-hour shows, Saturday and Sunday in the local TV. So check it out if you can on Action Sports Jacks Primetime. Uh, but seven times this decade, the Jaguars have been swept by a division. Now, none the AFC South, surprisingly, uh, and maybe not surprisingly, because it would uh, take, what, six losses against the, the division to do that. But uh, twice now, I think it is in the decade by the NFC South. And that happened again uh, yesterday. All right. Uh, I tweeted this yesterday right about after the game. I think wins and losses in last two games have zero to do with Doug and Dave coming back in 2020. Shot has already made up his mind, in my opinion. And that's the topic of the story right now, because it's Dave and Doug. That's what it is, right? Everybody's trying to flip this forward and say, all right, there's a lot of smoke out there by local media, by national media saying, these guys might be back. Uh, it's not like we're the only ones saying it. We might have been one of the first to tell you, but we're not the only ones saying it anymore. That means people are digging on it and kind of hearing the same things, uh, even from the national side. I think ESPN even had it on the bottom line yesterday because of Schefter that owner wants Marone and Caldwell back in 2020. Now, not substantiated by the owner making a statement on it, but that continues to be the tone is my point. And my whole view on this is because people said, fire them all after the first Two minutes of that game, 14 to nothing, or after the loss, 24 to 12, fire them all. I understand, first of all, why you say fire them all. I'm still a little surprised that the feeling is this way, that these guys will be back in 2020. In fact, I'm 100% surprised. I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. But I also never think that the final two games in a lost season that, quite frankly, are pretty meaningless, really matter in Shad Khan's mind. He actually hinted with the Tom Coughlin firing in his statement that he had already made up his mind on Tom Coughlin earlier this fall. And I think that has to do way back with the Jalen Ramsey situation. So if he already knew what he was doing with Tom Coughlin at the end of the year, don't you think he kind of already knows what he's doing with Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell at this point of the year? And two games, whether it's a win or a loss, probably aren't going to matter. Alfie uh, had a, a response to me on that, said, well, why didn't he just say that then in the statement? And I don't know. I don't know why he didn't say that in the statement. I'm just saying 
I think part of it was he wanted to put every part of this bringing Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell back will be to say it was Tom Coughlin's fault, the way things were running. Again, Chotkin did this with Gus Bradley. He put it all on Gus Bradley, brought a lot of the people back other than Gus Bradley. Well, now I think he's going to do a similar thing with Tom Coughlin and say, this is all on Tom Coughlin. And we know it's not all on one person, but I think he's going to say that and kind of, hey, here's the scapegoat. Here's the guy being fired for it. Now let's see if it works better with just these two guys going at it. I think that's the situation we're getting into. And on top of that, the embarrassment of the NFL grievances. Now, you got to remember, the reason why they fired Tom Coughlin last week, at least again, in my view, is because of the grievances. There was an embarrassment. They had to squash that tone. I, I think Shad Khan did not want on Saturday and Sunday broadcasts in the NFL all the pregame shows talking about the Jags and these grievances and 25% and Tom Coughlin and all this, the Jags organization in a bad light. So the best way to do that, and they might have still done that, but the best way to do that is to at least cut off that part of it. And most people believe that that was Tom Coughlin at fault for these grievances. So you fire him on Wednesday. You say it's all about Tom Coughlin. You shake off the embarrassment of what just happened last Monday with that NFLPA letter. You start to clean that up as quick as you can. And therefore, it's just a Tom Coughlin thing. Meanwhile, you hang in the balance with Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell to keep those guys kind of on edge as well for these next couple of weeks because they certainly haven't earned a vote of confidence and not with the performance on the field. But I'm just saying, I think deep down, I think Shad Khan already knows what's going on. And these two games will not change one way or another what he decides to do next Sunday night and next Monday uh, at some time on the future of Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell. So that's kind of my vantage point of it. We'll get to some of the responses from that tweet uh, yesterday and what you guys had to say about it. And you're always uh, welcome to jump in. Star Star 699-04362-9901. I'll give you some reasons why I think Shad Khan would maybe think this way because I'm trying to put myself in Shad Khan's position. And I'm trying to come up with how can't we hit the reset button here in Jacksonville? Because quite frankly, I think that's what I would do. I would hit the reset button in Jacksonville. And I like a lot of those folks in that building. There's nothing against them. I just think given the fact of this season and last season and where this thing has gone, I would probably hit the reset button. But I've also tried to wrap my arms around, okay, why would he be thinking this way? Give you some of those answers in just a bit. But let's go to the lines. Josiah's on the line right now. Thanks for listening to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Happy holidays, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. How about you? Good. Well, I just wanted to know, I got two things. One, how do we keep Doug Marone after two double-digit loss seasons? And then my other question is, draft-wise, with our high pick, if Andrew Thomas, the left tackle from Georgia, drops to us, would you rather have him or would you rather take Eric Brown? the defensive tackle from Auburn. All right, Josiah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. Happy holidays. Thanks for listening to Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Uh, you're more than welcome to call in as well. Star Star 690-904-362-9901. All right, first question first. How does Doug Marone keep his job after double-digit loss seasons? It's a great question. Uh, so let me answer that part of it right now. How would they say, okay, you've earned the opportunity to come back, especially we have to remind people, Shad Khan issued a statement at the end of last year when some folks wanted this regime gone then, uh, which I didn't. In fairness, I, I said, you just went to the AC championship game. You can't get rid of them a year later. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
Uh, but why would you keep Doug Marone? Doug Marone specifically is the question from Josiah. I think he did an unbelievable job of of managing all this stuff of what to say in front of a microphone, how to address the team, how to keep the team together, how to keep the team wanting to play for him and at least play hard. I know it didn't look like it at times with all those blowouts, but I do believe they're still playing hard. I think that's been uh, witnessed the last couple of weeks. Uh, you could easily throw it in this time of year, and the Jaguars have not. Uh, I think they I think they played hard yesterday. I, I think they left it out there. Uh, they're just undermanned, and they're not very good. So uh, I, I think those things do matter, that there's a lot of respect there for Doug Marone from the players. I also don't think that's why you make a decision to bring a guy back. There's a lot of players that like their coach. I mean, players loved Gus Bradley, too, and they knew it was time by the end of, of that run that a change was coming no matter how they felt about Gus Bradley or any coach that, for that matter, across the league. I think the wrestling back and forth, at least from what we kind of view, that jockeying for how I want to do things for Doug Marone is really the olive branch that might be extended by Shad Khan. Not so different than how the Jaguars set up Gus Bradley those first two years in Jacksonville. Set him up with a brutal roster. It was awful. That means everything was on winning in that third year and then eventually that fourth year. But for the time being, winning in that third year. I think for Doug Marone, he never really got to do it his way because Tom Coughlin was doing it his way. And then until Marone said, I don't care what anybody else is saying, I am doing it my way. And that's what he decided to do in 2019, in my view. So I'm trying to make a sense of it, Josiah, to say, why would Doug Marone be back? And those are some of the reasons. I'm going to add another reason here. There's a lot of people out there right now, I think, that if I said, okay, Doug Marone is let go, and you can have Ron Rivera, the former Carolina Panthers head coach, you'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get Ron Rivera in here. Well, go look at Ron Rivera's track record. Ron Rivera had three really good seasons out of nine in Carolina. He did it, by the way, much of that time with a franchise quarterback, and uh, Cam Newton won MVP the one year, I believe, so a quarterback that was playing well at times. If you do the math, it's still one winning season out of every three years. Not really much different than Doug Marone just did here in Jacksonville. So I think if you add all these things up, and it's less about what Doug is doing, because to me, those warts of the five games after he had this team in position to be blown out in the fashion they were, that goes back to the head coach. The penalties and some of the the the, the lack of offense – in this last six weeks, especially where I think they've scored 22 points combined in the first half of games, that goes back to the head coach and his coaching staff. So there are no excuses for that. I, I can't even come up with a good reason for those five games and this offensive struggle all of a sudden in the last month and a half because they have not been beat up by injury. This offensive line has been maligned at times. Well, Doug's an offensive line guy. So I don't know where the excuses will fall. Uh, from that standpoint, the defense is a different story, I think, because it's been kind of obliterated to what we thought it was going to be. So all those things add up. And I'm not really sure it's what Doug Marone did on the field for this team in performance. It's more about what he did off the field, plus 
that difficult situation that we now feel like it was inside Jags headquarters with the Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone way, whatever way that was. And I think maybe Tom uh, Shad Khan says we didn't put you in a very good position to succeed. So maybe that's why he says we're going to give you another chance. Now, there's a couple of other things. Uh, this is not really much to do with Doug Marone either. One is his contract. They've got two years left on his deal. Shad Khan, I don't and nobody does, likes to pay people not to work. They've done that before. Well, Doug Marone could come back and then he'd only have one year remaining on his contract. And then if you let him go, you let him go. Uh, the other part is there's a good relationship. I know that with Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell. So if there's that good relationship in the building, maybe they keep that. So maybe it has to do with Dave Caldwell a little bit. The last part I'll say, and again, I'm really trying to come up with reasons uh, why Shad Khan would, is I think the Giants job could become available. The Cowboys job is going to become available. I think that was proven yesterday. And maybe other jobs. You're not going to get your number one guy, number two guy, maybe not even your number three guy that you want. Is this an attractive job in Jacksonville right now with a quarterback situation you might be stuck with in 2020, whether you like it or not? A lot of dollars wrapped up, unproven players wrapped up in that position. The only positive thing for the Jaguars, if you're coming in and looking at this job, is the draft capital. And there is some flexibility if you want to make some moves in the cap space, but it's not like you have enormous cap space to work with. So it all depends on how people will view that quarterback situation. I would believe Shad Khan has probably put a feeler out there on this job. And whether he called Mike McCarthy and said, what do you think about it? Would you be interested? And maybe he said, eh, not really, man. That's not a good situation. I wouldn't be interested in it. I'm not sure how many other people would be. Maybe he got some feedback like that. And so some of these reasons are the ones that I've come up with to say, hey, maybe that's why they're keeping Doug Marone in Jacksonville. If it happens, it's still not official. But uh, the question is, why would you? And uh, that's what I'm coming up with, Josiah. The other part of it, uh, real quick on this answer, uh, because we're going to get into a lot of draft talk. I like that you bring up Andrew Thomas from Georgia and Derek Brown from Auburn, because I do think the Jaguars need to go one way in the draft. And that is big people. They need big people. And they now that's a Tom Coughlin thing. It's kind of a Doug Marone thing. But I think they do need big people early in this draft here in Jacksonville. And they probably need numerous big people. And they have a couple of first round picks and obviously plenty of draft capital work with not just this year, but next year, too. I think I would take Derek Brown, to be honest. I like him. I think he is potentially a game wrecker. And I think he potentially could give you an option to play uh, either kind of defensive scheme as well because he's such a big body in the middle, uh, whether it's four three three four hybrid type of thing. So I think he could give you some flexibility there. I uh, with, with some of their problems on the defensive line, I think that first pick is going to be used on a guy like Derek Brown rather than the offensive side of it, Andrew Thomas. Uh, is my guess right now. So, Josiah, thanks for the call, but that's the way uh, I would lean at this point. We're going to take a time out here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. When we come back, more of your thoughts on Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell. Why else would they keep these guys in 2020? We'll try to figure it out what Shad Khan could be thinking. I think it's important to also remember here as we have this discussion, it's not a done deal. Unless there's something out there right now that indicates it's a done deal in the last half hour. But it's not a done deal. So Shad Khan might be thinking something different than we're all hearing. Certainly plausible. 
I'm hearing it so much that it's not likely anymore, <laughs> but it certainly is plausible. So uh, your calls are welcome. 904-362-9901. Star Star 690. Jump in on the conversation. Your thoughts, Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, these Jacksonville Jaguars. It's some Gardner Minshew part of this as well. Where does he fit? What do you think of him yesterday, these last couple of games, as he set some rookie records for the Jacksonville Jaguars? More to come. Christmas week. Happy holidays, everybody, on ESPN 690. Um, and we're, you know, we're doing everything we can. We're, we're busting our tail trying to figure it out. Um, you know, I don't think there's any magic switch or anything, you know, that just can happen. But we're going to do everything in our power to make it right. Hey, happy holidays, everybody. That's Gardner Minshew. I think there'll be some Gardner Minshew jerseys under that tree, don't you think? Got to be a bestseller. I'd imagine there are not going to be other jerseys there. Probably not. Maybe Fournette. Yeah, Fournette, uh, if you bought a Foles one early on, early Christmas shoppers. That's true. Uh, that's a good question, you know. Josh Allen, I think, is becoming a little bit more of a popular one. You know, Ramsey was really popular for a long time. So uh, Gardner Mitchell's the one right now, though. And I still, we're getting to Gardner Mitchell a little bit, but, man, the jury is still out on Gardner Mitchell too. I, I think he had some moments again. I think he showed why. They're playing him with with his feet, and I still think some of the the lack of chances he's taking. Uh, I, I almost wish he would be a little bit more risky with the football at times. I'll, I'll say this though: we're gonna talk about it. One of the things he's really corrected. He hasn't fumbled since London. Now he didn't play for a couple games, but now we're talking two and a half football games, and he hasn't fumbled since that London game. So that is something obviously they put. They give some attention to. He did, too, and he's done a nice job of that. So give him credit uh, where credit is due. And to continue talking about uh, Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell, let's go to the lines again. South Beach, Gary, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, uh, Gary. What's up? Merry Christmas, Brent. Austin. Uh, Brent, the, the, it's hard for me to believe that the Jacks are giving as much utmost effort as you're saying when you look at Miami, Cincinnati, New York Giants, Washington Redskins, all of them have gaping holes in their personnel, and they all scored 35-plus points yesterday with the Jags scoring 12. And instead of these retreads that are brought up, McCarthy or Ron Rivera, how about getting somebody from the college ranks, either Matt Rule or Lincoln Riley or Greg Roman, the Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator, because these retreads rarely work out. South Beach, Gary, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate the call. Uh, happy uh, holidays to you. And listen, I am big into that. Okay. I'm big believer that I like, I'm a new blood guy. I don't love the retreads. Now, the NFL can be a little bit different because you've seen some success with uh, coaches that have been on their second stint, especially. You know, listen, Tom Coughlin was on his second stint in, in New York and they did well with the Giants. Obviously, Bill Belichick's the greatest example of all time uh, when it comes to that. But there has been some success in in that uh, in that role, so it's it's not always a bad thing in the NFL. It's not always a bad thing everywhere else. It's it's a risk to take somebody who's kind of that new blood feel, whether it is college or a coordinator, uh, someone like that. So I, I understand the risk involved. I don't mind that, uh, South Beach Gary. I I think the rule thing. The more I read on him. He wants the absolute perfect situation. And if you read some articles on Matt Rule, how you could put Matt Rule here in Jacksonville is beyond me. 
Now, I'm not saying I wouldn't want him here, or I'm not saying Shad Khan wouldn't want him here. I'm just saying I don't know how he's coming here given what he said. Now, is he a man of his word on what he said and wants to stay at Baylor? It's got to be a perfect situation, this, that. Again, I don't know. We'll see. Is the New York Giants a perfect situation for him? Uh, is the Dallas Cowboys potentially, if they were to come call and he's already in Texas, maybe. So uh, I, I think part of this whole conversation and what I've gotten into here today is it's not necessarily when we ask, hey, why is Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell even being considered to come back in 2020? It's not this resume that they're going to show you to say, wow, look at that, look at that, look at that. I think it's a little bit to do with the attractive nature of this job right now. And I don't think this job, although it does have some attractions to it, draft capital, some nice young core players, maybe two pass rushers you could have for a really long time. DJ Chark has been promising. Leonard Fournette has done a nice job, whether you think he should have been drafted top five and is one of the top five backs, all those things. If you're looking at it from an outside looking in, you don't care about that stuff. You're saying, I can work with Leonard Fournette. You have a young right tackle in Jawan Taylor. You have some nice players. Miles Jack, I don't know where he fits on that landscape of things. So I think it's an attractive job from that point of view and also from a draft capital point of view, 18 of them in the next uh, two years, including four first round picks. And in 2020, it's going to be two top 20 picks. So if I'm somebody looking at this job, I would come in and be like, hey, I've already got a little bit of a core. I can build around that. I've got draft capital. I can build around that. I think the problem is if I'm looking at this job and I'm one of the top candidates, whether it's a retread or not, you could have other jobs that might be more attractive. And the Giants and Cowboys jobs, again, I keep using those as examples. We don't know if they'll be available. Sure, it looks like they could be at least one of them, especially in Dallas. Those are always going to win out over the Jaguars job. I think this grievance thing is damaging from a perception standpoint. I don't really think it damages them in free agency as much as people think. And now that Coughlin's gone, that might actually ease some of that. But it's very fresh. And so if I'm looking at this job, I'm like, all right, well, I have to clean up that. It looks like there's a lot to clean up culture-wise, at least from the outside looking in. And then I think one of the big things is I believe right now you're stuck with the quarterback situation. A lot of people want to get rid of Nick Foles, and maybe they do. But you're most likely, even if you get rid of him, you're going to be stuck with some element of that contract, dead money or not. Gardner Minshew, do you believe in him? If you look at his tape from a personnel standpoint and I'm a coach coming in, I'm like, oh, I'm all in on this guy. I don't know. Uh, so, again, those things are more subjective. But how that person feels about it also indicates the attractive nature of this job or not. And so... I think that's part of the reason all those things that I just said, that Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell could come back and Shad Khan's like, you know what? You guys created this. You guys created this quarterback situation from the Blake Bortles extension to this with Nick Foles. Live with it for another year and show me how you think it's going to work. And if they get it to work, well, fine. Good for the Jags. Good for them. But if they don't, at least the next year, you don't have that in 2021, say, and now you're more of an attractive job to maybe look at uh, going out there. And maybe the Cowboys and Giants and, and other teams have already locked their guy up. Who knows what the job landscape will look like in uh, 2021? Again, 
folks, I know I'm reaching a little bit at some of these things, but I'm trying to find the logic in it just like you. I understand all the responses we're getting. Like, I, I get it. I, I get you're like, how could you possibly do this? That's the responses I'm getting. And here are some of the answers I'm getting. I'm guessing Shot is dumping the whole mess on Coughlin, albeit correct or otherwise. I still believe a complete overhaul is needed. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I can't make any sense of it, Iceman DOG says. I'm less interested in the Jags and have little to no investment in the franchise. Alfie says, I just don't get what either Marone or especially Caldwell, parentheses, who had to have someone hired to take over some of his job because he was bad at it, have done to even consider running back in 2020. Go Gator says, assume Khan was in the draft war room so he knows who, what, ex, who exactly was pushing for what players. Sounds like Coughlin also pushed Tony and analytics out. So now that Coughlin is back, that's why Tony is returning. And that has been a little bit of the national mantra as well, is that Tony Khan could have an increased role in the analytics uh, and in the entire organization. Now, we can argue whether that's good or bad or indifferent, but you did notice when Tom Coughlin came in, Tony Khan was less involved. He was way more involved with Gus Bradley and Dave Caldwell, and he built relationships there. I think the cons like Dave Caldwell. I really do. I think they like Doug Marone. Um, and is that swaying them in one way or another? I don't know. Uh, you can't get let that get in the way of, of the right decision. But I think they do like them, um, whatever that's worth. And now Tony Khan potentially could have an increased role given this situation. Maybe. It, it, and that could be the case. I, I do think Tom Coughlin didn't want a lot of that around, uh, I believe. And, and I think they gave full reign to Tom Coughlin to do whatever he wanted to to kind of set the table on this organization three years ago. And he did some good things and some not so good things. But I think uh, if you if you line everything up and it's not lost on me and nobody's even said this to me, but just reading the tea leaves. Right when Tom Coughlin was hired, Tony Khan got a significant role with Fulham. And so he was not as heavily involved with the Jags organization, at least from my vantage point, as he might have been with Gus Bradley and Doug Marone. So could he have an increased role now with Marone and, and um, Caldwell? I might have said Gus Bradley and Marone. I meant Gus Bradley and uh, Caldwell. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, that could be definitely an element of it. Where does Tony Khan fit in the entire equation? Certainly a, a decent question. Uh, Ted Moore says, can't be any rational reason. There's not one single stat that says they can make us a winning franchise. Maybe thinking we can't get top shelf management, so stand pat, but you don't know how until you fire everyone and start. That's all I can fit in a tweet. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Fair enough. And that's kind of what I was leaning toward. One of the reasons I think these guys could stay for another year and ride with it is can you attract top-shelf management right now, the current state of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Maybe no. And therefore, why not wait another year and then see if we can get more once we're away from this grievance thing, once we're away from this quarterback situation in 2020, and we still have a good amount of draft picks, maybe more salary cap, maybe some of this young talent even looks better, and then it's a more attractive job. Again, I know I sound like I'm reaching a little bit, but we're trying to figure out why. Uh, Ryan Day says, Shad Khan is major leaguing us. Uh, Cass says, absolutely not. We need a clean sweep. Jolly Ole B. Jesus, no. Has to be moving the team right. I don't think so. There's A lot of people will now insinuate that. Like, where's he moving the team? 
again, you're not going to get me to bite on the moving the team stuff. Uh, not happening. I don't believe so. Could we get another game in London? There's some smoke about that. But uh, is he moving the team? I just don't believe it. And I'll be the naive guy there, and, and you can tell me I'm a moron for the next however long. And when it happens or if it happens, you can tell me, again, I'm a moron. Uh, but I'm not buying into that. I don't think that's uh, that's where this thing is headed, at least at the current uh, uh, time. So, you know, all these responses are the same. I get it. Like, what have they done? How can you say they're coming back? All those uh, – it's hard to defend what this Jacksonville Jaguars organization has done, not only now, but also this entire decade. It's hard to defend Shad Khan's record as the owner of this football team. A lot of double-digit lost seasons. They have to figure it out. They've got to get it right. Is sticking with Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell getting it right? I don't know. Those guys have gotten it wrong, and they've been part of getting it wrong. So it's hard for me to sit here and tell you, oh, yeah, they're going to do that. I mean, you can't find a more positive guy in town on the Jags over this last decade than me, Sunshine and Rainbow's president. But I am uh, not here to tell you that these guys are going to win big if they stay in 2020. I I can't come with you on that. I'm trying to find reasons why it would even make uh, sense for that. Uh, don't know how you justify no quarterback in a defense that has given up over 500 yards in 11 games. If he does bring them back, proves he could care less about winning, so he would be right. We can't support eight home games. Going to be a lot of dropouts. I can't buy that an owner doesn't care about winning, uh, even if he's not as vocal about it as as uh, a guy like Jerry Jones or, or somebody else. Um, which better be clean house and start fresh with all these draft picks? Uh, Demetrius said, tend to agree. I think it would have to, have to be a blowout. Uh, yesterday and next week for anything to change. They rallied back late. Don't think that'll change his mind. Uh, Austin says, how many double-digit losses equal a blowout asking for a head coach? And let's go one more. Uh, Gator uh, Smooth BS says, shot is loyal and ask him to look back at the team record since 2014. Before Tom got here, Doug was on Gus's staff. We never cleaned house. And how is the defense played? Better or worse, it's time to stop. Take your losses and help the fans. Fire everyone is essentially... Uh, what he said. So some of the responses in the fans, and it's all a pretty similar narrative uh, from the fans, at least jumping in on the social media front and that have called the show Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. You can check in on that, too. I um, will find out in, in less than a week. Black Monday is a week from today. I thought for sure if you had asked me this question two weeks ago, 10 days ago, eight days ago, it'd be a clean sweep in Jacksonville. But they're all out. Tom Coffin is now out. And although I still can't fully wrap my arms around it and haven't really quite gotten myself to believe it yet, that these guys might be coming back, I think it's certainly trending uh, that way. Doug Marone, Dave Caldwell uh, coming back in 2020. I tried to find some reasons for you. They're not good ones. I will tell you this. It's not going to help Mark Lamping and that sales staff sell tickets. This might be just an eat it year down at Jags headquarters if they bring Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell back. No other way to say it. I mean, it's not going to be pretty at the ticket office. Because one thing you do get excited about, even if you're a bad football team, is a new coach usually and a new quarterback. 
and a new coach would give you a little bit of a jump. Maybe this is different. They cleaned house. Maybe this will work now. If you don't do that going into 2020, then uh, the excitement just won't be there uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll keep an eye on it. Let's talk more about the football part of it. Gardner Minshew. Good, bad, and different. What do you think about him? Star Star 690. I'll share my thoughts next on ESPN 690. No, I mean, it felt, you know, kind of like last week felt, you know, where we were going to find our final way, and it, uh, it didn't end for us this time. Um, but that's, you know, we can't just keep putting ourselves in this situation and expect to bail ourselves out every time. Oh, that's been a big problem. Gardner Minshew talking about it. I mean, they cannot play from ahead, and this football team is so much better ahead. Uh, every team's better ahead. <laughs> but this football team is built to be ahead. You know, Leonard Fournette, I thought, ran well last, uh, yesterday. Caught the ball again. He continues to have a nice year, over 1,600 yards, starting to join some elite company in franchise history. One of the interesting stats, over 1,600 yards from scrimmage and 75 receptions. He joins Jimmy Smith. I mean, Leonard Fournette has more than 75 receptions on the season. I don't know what that says. I don't know if that's really, hey, nice job, Leonard, or what the heck are we constantly dumping it down to Leonard for and not throwing it downfield? <laughs> I, mean, I guess it could be a little bit of both. But they can't. What happened to this offense? Not that it was ever the Kansas City Chiefs. But even when Nick Foles went down, Gardner Minshew was moving this team up and down the field. And... Something in the last six weeks just stopped that. Go all the way back to the Houston game, and it all stopped. And quite honestly, they haven't lost a lot. They didn't have great tight ends to begin with. Okay, they lost a couple of tight ends. I mean, is Seth the valve when he went out for three games? Is he that important to this football team? What am I missing? They don't have tight ends. They didn't have tight ends. They had very average tight ends to begin with. They had a hopeful tight end in Josh Oliver, and he never materialized. But they still were able to move the football up and down the field. And now I feel like I'm watching the 2011 Jaguars with Blaine Gabbert at quarterback when I wondered if he would get to 150 yards passing in a game, and that would be a milestone. And I'm not saying Gardner Minshew is looking that bad. I'm saying this offense looks that bad. They look non-threatening. Sure, DJ Chark misses the game last week. He's not 100% healthy. I mean, they've got some reasons, but not enough. Their offensive line has been healthy. If I told you at the beginning of the year, this offensive line, no matter how you felt about it, would start and play and finish the season after last year going through 16 offensive linemen, there's no way in heck you would tell me the Jaguars are 5-10 and 10 and they've scored 22 points combined in the last six games in the first half. Six games. That's 12 quarters, 22 points in those games in the first half. That is ridiculous. And, yes, all teams want to start fast. But think about the ramifications of that. On top of the offense not doing well, the defense – has been awful for the most part. They've getting better the last couple of weeks in a weird way, at least from a points total given up. But they were so bad for that five-week stretch. So, therefore, you're down at least two scores going into halftime, if not more. That means the other team can run, so your defense and your, your sack eaters, your Ngakwes and Allens and Campbells, can't get to the quarterback. 
When you're trailing in football games, it's so much harder to get turnovers because the other team isn't taking chances. Your possessions dwindle because they're running the football and usually with success, the way this defense has given up in the run game. And offensively, I think the biggest part of this is you can't use Leonard Fournette the way you want to use Leonard Fournette. Fournette had 15 carries for 71 yards, and he never gets the chance anymore to get to 22, 23, 24 carries. I mean, that's what you want to be able to do. And if you're doing that, you then can use the play action, which his offense is completely built around, to run the play action and open things up downfield. I mean, that's amazing stat. 22 points in 12 quarters in the last six games to open up games. That is brutal. So... With that all said, and if you got any suggestions of what happened to this offense, is it John D. Filippo? Is it simply the offensive line just isn't good enough? Is it the quarterback play has really not been that good? Are we ready to admit that, that it's really not been that good? It's had some moments here or there with Gardner in the game, but it's not that good? That's a common denominator in a lot of this. No doubt Minshew has been better in the second half for whatever reason. So all these things add up to like just puzzle me about this offense on why it hasn't been at least moderately better. I'm not looking for it to be a top five offense in the NFL to match Drew Brees and the Saints and Mahomes and the Chiefs or the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. I'm not asking for that. You know what? The Dolphins, the Bengals. The Redskins and the Giants all put up 35 points yesterday. Just to let you know, I understand they were all playing each other, who are not very good football teams, but the Atlanta Falcons are not a very good football team. And even last week against a not very good football team in Oakland, it's not like they scored 35. So this is a lot on the Jags and less on who they're playing and what the opponent's doing and all these other things. And while I can tell you why the defense has been bad, because, or at least give it an excuse, one, they're playing from behind, two, their linebackers have not been good this year, and now they're beat up. They have guys playing that they didn't think would be playing. I could give you Marcel Darius. I could at least find excuses. I have a hard time, outside of tight ends, finding excuses for this offense to be at least moderately better. My expectation level is not crazy here. So that's been a big problem. Kuz, any comments on the offense over there on Facebook? There's actually a lot of uh, Nick Foles love going on right now. Really? Which I thought was kind of surprised. And then there was another one saying that if you keep Doug, that you might want to go for Trevor Lawrence next year. Well, again, that's that's a good thought because, again, this could be dialing up to 2021 where everything might be better for the Jaguars to ride this part of the storm out. And, and you never just say, hey, we're throwing in the season. Listen, if the Jags do well with Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell, that's one thing. But if they don't, at least they've ridden the wave down the hill, and now they start fresh in 2021. I mean, could it be as simple as that from Shad Khan's point of view? He looks at this whole landscape and says, you know what? I think it's better to start fresh in 2021 than it is 2020. I mean, are, are, can you do that? That's a weird thing to say, right? If, if I'm not really fully confident in this, but I'll be more confident next year. That's kind of the way I look at it. That's the only thing I've been able to come up with. But back to this offense. What the heck happened to it? And now the Gardner Minshew conversation. What else you got about Foles over there? Pretty much saying that the O line couldn't block for him, so that if they got an O line to block for him, he would do better than Minshew would be doing. 
Um, yeah, that's. I mean, Foles is going to get if Foles defenders they're going to point to the offensive line. That's fine. I don't know where the Foles thing is. I, I know people are off the Foles wagon. I saw Foles play two and a half football games essentially this year. Well, three, I guess, if you count the opener. And the Jags have been so bad in this stretch over the last two months that I kind of feel like my hands go up in the air almost like they did last year with the Bortles conversation and Cody Kessler in the game. It's like nothing's working. Nothing works in November and December of the last two seasons for the Jacksonville Jaguars. That, by the way, is not something I would put on my resume if I were Doug Marone because that's an important time of the year for football. Now, in 2017, it did work, but in 2018, 2019, certainly hasn't. Let's go to the phone lines. I think you said Joey. Joey's on the line. Uh, thanks for listening to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Man, happy holidays. Britt, how are you doing today? Good. Oh, man. Can I talk about this Jaguar team for a second? You sure can. I am a big fan of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I have been with the Jacksonville Jaguars organization since I've been a little boy. And I've got to say, this O-line has no protection for either Nick Foles or Gardner Mitchell. I believe back in 2017 when the Jaguars got robbed from the Patriots and friggin' uh, Miles Jack got called back to interception, I was sitting there watching the Jaguars football team with a New York Jets fan. And when I heard, you know, when I heard Jacksonville Jaguars selected Nick Foles, I'm wearing Nick Foles' jersey right now. Um, but I've got to say, you know, I believe in this team. My mom was a fan of the Jaguars, big, big, big time. Uh, but when I hear that Tom Coughlin got fired from Jacksonville, it's got me thinking about, you know, what is actually going on with this team. All right, Joe, appreciate it. Thank you uh, for the call. Happy holidays. Uh, thanks for listening to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I mean, I think a lot of people are wondering the same things. Uh, what What's going on with this uh, football team? What's going on with this organization? Where is it going in 2020 and beyond? And really, how do you fix it? You know, uh, how do you fix it when you've tried a myriad of different things, right or wrong, to fix it? And I continue to say the one thing this organization hasn't tried probably hard enough is taking the chance to be cutting edge in the football office, on the football field. You look at. Uh, I'll show you the examples, okay? And here's three of them. Go back to the Seattle Seahawks. They signed Matt Flynn to a big deal. They take Russell Wilson anyway. And not only do they land on Russell Wilson, but they have the guts to say, you know what? Russell Wilson's better than this guy. We just signed for, what did Flynn sign for, like $50 million? And they go with him. And it works. That takes guts. That's cutting edge, in my opinion. It doesn't mean Cutting edge always doesn't mean innovative. Cutting edge to me makes is a little bit about vision and sometimes it is innovative and sometimes it's just having the guts to, to make a call. Seattle did it. Go back most recently to Kansas City. They've got Alex Smith. They say, you know what? We love this Patrick Mahomes kid. We think he is sensational. We're already in a pretty good spot. We're winning football games. Alex Smith, pretty good quarterback. We're going to trade up and get Patrick Mahomes. They did. And look at Patrick Mahomes. Look at Kansas City. It was worth it. They made the right call. 
had an unsettling year because, oh, boy, what are they going to do? Patrick Mahomes, they just drafted him in the top 15. Alex Smith is doing this and that. Well, they knew what they were going to do, and they had the vision to see it and the guts to do it. The latest example is obviously the Ravens, a team that offensively had kind of been stuck in the mud. Boring, physical, tough, defensive football team likes to run the football. John Harbaugh says, you know what? We can go fix this thing. We can do this. We can change this. Let's go get Lamar Jackson. Let's cater to him. Let's change the offense. Let's use the skill set. And bingo, it's working here two years later. That's what the Jaguars have to do, in my opinion, to fix it and find it. I don't get paid for that. We'll figure it out. We'll try to suggest things. My job's not on the line if I suggest the wrong thing. But you got to have that kind of vision. you got to be able to make that kind of call. you got to have those kind of guts to be able to do it. The Jaguars, if you really look at it in the last three years, instead of moving forward, they tried to go backwards with Tom Coughlin and try to revisit 1995. Not a good move. Bad move in the long run. It's not working. Jaguars have to find something that works. I'll tell you something that works. It works for a local kid who led his team to a national championship this weekend. We'll get more into the Jags, but first, the conversation with Austin Reed on his latest success. Pretty cool story coming up next on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Happy holidays. Brent Martin, Okuz along. Austin Lane will call us uh, in just a little bit from the slopes of Wisconsin. I don't know how, how skiing really good in Wisconsin, snowboarding good in Wisconsin. I'm assuming it is. I'd imagine. Yeah. Just don't like it's probably a forgotten area of the country when you think of skiing. I think of like New England states and then out Colorado's, Utah's, Wyoming's, Montana. I don't really think about Wisconsin. I mean, who would think about Wisconsin? Other than when you think about Austin Lane. All right, right now we're thinking about another Austin. Austin Reed from St. Augustine. St. Augustine High School. Fantastic uh, job with the Yellow Jackets as the quarterback. And most recently just led West Florida to a national championship at the Division II level. I think it's been a fun story to follow. What a fall into early winter it's been for Austin Reed. What a performance. And congratulations, Austin. What a cool moment on Saturday for you guys to get the national championship. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy, not going to lie. It still doesn't feel real, but it was it was really special. Hey, man, this has been like a video game for you guys, especially the last month and a half. You've been putting up all sorts of crazy numbers. Six touchdowns the other day, 399 yards, I think it was, in the first half. How did you guys get this offense clicking so well? Um, we just we have this extremely good receiving core. I felt like it was the best receiving core in the nation. I felt like we had a bunch of Division One guys who were playing at the Division One, uh, Division Two level. And they were just, everybody was firing on all cylinders. Our offensive line was blocking really well, and things were just really clicking for us. And how about your play? I mean, how much have you grown since we saw you in high school to be able to perform at this level on this stage? I mean, I know you're a confident player. You put a lot of work in. So many of you you, got, you young players do. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. But yes, sir. Would, you, would you even stay, you maybe even surprise yourself with some of these unbelievable performances? Uh, 100%. I'm not going to. I didn't expect waking up on Saturday morning to throw for 500-plus and six touchdowns, that's for sure. I was just hoping to get the win one way or another. But I guess all the hard work pays off, all the praying, all the giving, the glory to God, all of it pays off to eventually be able to put up those kind of numbers. And like I said, it's just surreal. It doesn't even feel like it happened. 
How did you end up at West Florida, Division II school? Because this is the part that I've kind of been raving about, Austin. I, I think you know it, right? You know when you experience it in high school uh, and there's signing day and you're being recruited and, you, and you're a player that can play in college and you're like, I want to go here, I want to go there. And your buddies are saying, hey, I'm going to Florida, or Florida State or Georgia Tech or all these places. And everybody, kind of, you get that, I want to keep up with the Joneses. I want to play Division One football. I want to do this or that. But what I always think is you got to find your fit, man. And I know you had one stop in between, but it looks like you found your fit in West Florida. Tell us the journey. How'd you get there? Yes, sir. One hundred percent. I didn't start until my senior year of high school at St. Augustine High School, and I feel like that may have put me a little bit behind the ball in recruiting. But had a great senior year. Was fortunate enough to receive a couple Division One FCS offers, and I chose to go to Southern Illinois University up in Carbondale, Illinois. Last year, Division One FCS school. Um, I spent a year there. It didn't work out how I expected it to, um, but I've learned in life a lot of things don't turn out how you expect them to. So it was all right. It was a good. It was a good lesson to learn. You know, just going up there, growing as a man and a football player, and just spent my year there. But realized after a year, it was probably best if I were to head out and go after a new journey. It just felt like SIU wasn't where I was meant to be long term. And so leaving SIU, I contemplated whether going whether going to a junior college to go back to Division One or go have to go to a division two school back home and just missing home and missing Florida. And after I went on my visit to university of West Florida, I just fell in love with the school immediately. And I felt like God was really calling me to go to that school. And I just being a man of deep faith, I just trusted all that. I just trusted that God had a plan for me and just to ride that plan and to trust him with it. Austin Reed with us, uh, quarterback for West Florida, just won a national championship on Saturday with the Argonauts and record-breaking performances at the Division II level. Six touchdowns in the game, threw for 523 yards in the win over Minnesota State, 399 yards in the first half. Hey, what's it feel like to be a national champ? Have you stopped smiling yet? Um, I was actually joking with my parents last night. My cheeks actually hurt a little bit just from so much smiling. <laughs> It's just crazy. We got the, I got the, every player got a replica trophy. So I just got it sitting there on my, on my uh, counter right now. And I'm just like, every time I look at it, it's just like, I'm like, I can't even, I can't even believe it. Just, it doesn't even feel real. It's, it's crazy. I don't think it'll hit me until we get those rings in a couple months. That's really cool. And now, if I've got this right, you're just a fresh, you just completed your freshman year. I mean, so you have three more years to go uh, from an eligibility standpoint, right? Yes, sir. Redshirt freshman season just completed. Wow. I mean, uh, it, does any of your success make you think about, well, maybe I can play at a higher level, or is this a comfort spot and a spot that you're going to stick, you think? Obviously, having those desires to be on the biggest stage and to be known even more nationally, just it obviously it, it'll be there. But just being at West Florida, I love the school. I love Pensacola. I love the program and the direction it's heading and the coaching staff is just phenomenal. And so, I mean, sometimes people may try and chase the biggest things and may try and chase all the division one accolades and things like that. But for me, I've, I've come to think that bigger isn't always better. And so I'm just grateful for what God's blessed me with right now in the program I'm at. I don't, I don't feel the need to go if the grass may not be greener on the other side. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Austin Reed, uh, quarterback of West Florida, played his high school ball at St. Augustine and uh, national champ on Saturday, joined us here at Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 for just a couple more moments. I think it's pretty cool. You look at the roster of West Florida. And by the way, people that don't know West Florida, it's a somewhat new program, new world program, Division Two in the state of Florida. But they're very successful in a lot of sports, very good athletic program. So for all you kids out there looking to play at, at a – at a college, 
Uh, keep an eye on that one out there in Pensacola. And, and obviously, Austin Reed can tell you all about it right now, and he loves it out there. But you're not the only one, man. I mean, I, I think I saw the number was 17 from the Northeast Florida area. How cool was that to have all those local guys on that roster out there with the Argonauts? It's really awesome. We have a ton of ton of 904 guys. We got guys from Potter's House, guys from Rebalt, guys from Baker County, a couple dudes from West Side, and it's like it's actually really cool. Like it's almost like you have those brothers from back home who kind of get it, kind of feel what it's like to be from Northeast Florida. We always joke about it, always argue about what high school programs were the best in the area, but it's definitely nice. Definitely nice to be around people who are you're familiar with and they're familiar from the same area. You guys went on such a run here in this postseason at the Division Two level. Uh, do you have a snapshot uh, of a play that that changed everything? I, I think uh, I want to go back. Maybe it was a few weeks ago. You guys scored late, right, uh, to keep the season alive and, and stay alive and survive in advance. Yes, sir. Yeah, that was probably that was probably the moment where everything kind of we realized at that moment we could really make this national championship run with scoring that touchdown with four seconds left to beat Valdosta State and their twenty-seven game win streak. That That's was right. probably when we. That was when we were like, okay, we just we can beat any team in the country if we just beat the defending champ team that's been on a 27-game win streak. So that's kind of when things really flipped and everybody's like, let's go really go do this. Yeah, that's right. That was that game against Valdosta State. And you, you mentioned the winning record. By the way, Kerwin Bell was there last year. They won a national championship at Valdosta State. They were the defending champs. And Ivory Durham from the Reigns High School Vikings uh, plays at Valdosta State, helped them uh, win a national championship a year ago so that was a big win for you guys all right man what's the encore now i know you haven't had much time to think about it but all of a sudden will will your football team will you individually have a lot of pressure moving forward because of your success this year i think the pressure is obviously going to be there it's, it's going to be one of those how do we follow this up kind of moments because now we're no longer going to be the underdogs and going into the season we're most likely going to be the preseason number one team in the nation and so I think it's just staying hungry. You see guys like Tom Brady who they got six Super Bowl rings, but he's wanting that seventh one just as badly. So I think that's the kind of the mindset it's going to be is let's go get a second one. I mean, we didn't win the GSC conference last year, so let's go win the conference and the national championship. So I think it's kind of one of those things where it's just stay hungry and go prove it to even more people how good we are. Austin Reed with us. A spectacular season for West Florida. Unbelievable run in the postseason. 523 yards, six touchdowns in the national championship game on Saturday. West Florida wins the national championship in Division Two. Let me ask you this, man, and uh, and then I'll let you go. Uh, I-, I talked about the fit. For a, for a young person coming out of high school, and you got to find that fit. Whether whether it's an ACC program, a Division two program, doesn't matter. Just find the fit where you can play, be successful, enjoy your career and, and experience in college. But also, there's this push nowadays for everyone to do everything so fast. You have to be committed by as a ninth grader. Uh, you have to be breaking all sorts of records. You might have to enroll early. And while you don't have to do that, it almost feels like so many feel like they have to do that to keep up with the Joneses. I love your path because you did only have the one year starting at St. Augustine. You waited. You waited. Uh, were you a late bloomer? And And on top of that, like this kind of success you're having, what changed in your game? Or what grew in your game to kind of allow you to be this good at this time? I think I think with the with the waiting part and the finding the right fit and everything being so quickly, I think it's just nothing is going to be how you expect it to be. And I think a lot of people 
go into things and commit to things because they expect it to be a certain way. And you see a lot of guys have to flip on signing day because coaching staffs move or because teams sign another commit at their position. And I think it's one of those things where it's – I learned it from experience that nothing is going to be how you think it's going to be. And so for me it's now kind of just going with the flow, kind of just being able to be – being able to adapt to certain situations. And, like, I felt it was like that throughout my whole career. I felt like – Sitting behind a four-year starter in high school was obviously very difficult when I felt like I could have been out there making plays. But I grew up in St. Augustine, Florida, and when you grow up in St. Augustine, Florida, the only thing you ever want to do is play for St. Augustine High School. And so for me, I was willing to wait, got to do that. It may have been a little later than I wanted, but I just trusted the plan that was set out for me. And just eventually I got to college, and I just I learned that college football is a lot different than high school football. And so I had to learn to play a different way, and I learned you have to be able to – read more things and this isn't just one of those things where you can take three steps and you can find your best guy and throw it up to him and so I think failures and waiting and patience and those kind of things are really the best things that you can use for life lessons and I just think all of those different situations and having one of the having a strange path and not having that four-year starter division one sign ESPN 300 path I feel like all those things have made me a better man and have made me a better football player as a result because it hasn't all been handed to me, and I've been able to work hard and really earn everything that I've been given in life. All right, good for you, man. That's a good perspective on it. Uh, proud of you from uh, the 904, getting it done on Saturday for West Florida winning the national title. Uh, happy holiday season to you and the family. Enjoy this one. Don't stop smiling. I know, I know the cheeks might hurt, but don't <laughs> stop smiling. And also, i got to tell you this. Now, if you ever get in, into a, a matchup with Ashland University, also at the Division II level, I'm going to have to pull for the Eagles. That's my alma mater, okay? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand. <laughs> Continued success, man. Thanks for taking some time. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's Austin Reed. Uh, pretty cool story. I, I really like the story. Listen, we talk recruiting a lot. We talk about uh, the decisions kids make. The, the Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I just like this story. I, I, I think it's an example of... Go where you fit. Don't go just because you want to run out of a tunnel in front of 60,000 people, 80,000 people, 90,000 people. Um, if, if you're willing to do that and then maybe not play or, or, or not have the best of experience, don't do it just for that reason. Uh, go find a fit that that's good for you. And and heck, it, it took an extra stop for Austin Reed, but he found it at West Florida right now. And uh they're national champs because of it, so good for him. Uh, congratulations. Really cool part of the story. All right, this just in as we get back to some football talk on the NFL level. Adam Schefter reports, this is not going to make you all feel pretty happy, I think. Adam Schefter reports, the Panthers interviewed former Packers head coach Mike McCarthy for their head coaching job after their game against the Colts Sunday. Panthers declined comment on the coaching search. Hmm. So now what you're saying is, why haven't the Jags fired everybody so they could interview Mike McCarthy? It's going to be a tough, uh, if, if Doug Marone and, and Dave Caldwell come back, it's going, to be a t- it's going to be an internal battle here, and maybe even an external battle, but it's going to be a battle here uh, amongst the fans of, I'm talking like each and every one of you, to kind of process all this stuff, all these interviews going on, like I honestly would be excited right now if the Jaguars were to interview Mike McCarthy or consider Mike McCarthy or at least be uh, looking into Mike McCarthy. I 
I'm not like this huge Mike McCarthy fan, but I like what he's done to reinvent himself in this year off. I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. I like it. This is what I'm talking about when I say kind of cutting edge, a little bit different. He's trying. I don't know if it will work, but I wouldn't mind. Like I would take Mike McCarthy now over Ron Rivera in a heartbeat. No problem. My question is, what would be the arguing points to pick, say, just specifically the Panthers there? Why would you pick the Jags over the Panthers if you had the option as a coach? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good call, right? Just take those two jobs. Forget about what could be out there if it's uh, if it's the Cowboys and the Giants and, and the rest of them. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, I'll answer that question and much more. What do you think about the same question Kuz just asked? Is this even a better job than the Carolina Panthers right now? Because that job is open. It's the only job open. And there's a little bit of a quarterback problem going no, on there. No, no, they've got their quarterback issues, and Kyle Allen is not the issue, uh, the answer. So, really good question, Coos. Let's talk about it on the other side. As Mike McCarthy interviews with the Panthers, are the Jags missing the boat by not already doing the same or willing to do the same potentially after the season finale? on sunday let's talk about it star star 690 is the number or check in on social media we're on youtube twitter facebook twitch and of course you can listen in your car and on espn 690.com we'll be back happy holidays everybody hope you like my christmas sweater yeah anytime a team just get up on you on 14 14 in the first quarter man it's, it's tough it's just tough we got to scratch and claw our way back we just we just didn't get the job done no, they didn't. No, they haven't. It's interesting. All the response to Doug Marone, and they like Doug, and they they appreciate how he's handled things. And, you know, even Doug Marone said, hey, you kind of hope every player in the league would say that about you. Uh, I just still can't get over the fact this team responded the way they did after 4-4. Four and four. Uh, They, You don't even have to be that good of a football team, but to go five games like that... It's one hell of a response to a guy that set everything up for you on the table to get you to four and four with everything else going on and, and uh, inside the building, in the Jalen Ramsey stuff. Still can't get over that part of it, but it comes back to Marone at the end of the day. Uh, if you listen to me, I know everybody loves to point at the front office and the coaches and everything else. I still believe it's a player's game, and this has to be on the players uh, to some degree. They just don't take the brunt of it. Uh, and that's not a defense mechanism for the coaching staff either. They deserve some of it, no doubt. I mean, I've said Doug Marone deserves praise for the job that he did to get him in that position, but he also deserves a lot of blame because whatever he did to get him in that position didn't work. It backfired. They lost five games in a row by 17 points or more. And that's really the hardest thing for me when it comes to Marone staying, if we just look at that piece, is that five-game stretch. I mean, that's when you want to be you want to be in a position, you want to play your best football, you got to get it done. And they laid such a big egg that that was the biggest egg they've ever laid in a five-game stretch in this franchise's history. And there's a lot to uh, contend with here in Jacksonville when it comes to those kind of numbers. By the way, Dante Fowler Jr. not holding back today on uh, social media. Or did he delete some of these? (laughs) Maybe he deleted some. Uh, Dante Fowler Jr. has been active on social media i can't find the one he mentioned something about uh doug marone and todd wash and and uh and i think gus bradley as well and has since um gotten off of twitter so that was interesting at least for uh for the short term all right who's asked a question uh before we uh hit the break and 
It's a good one. I just uh, shared the news that uh, Adam Schefter is reporting, and now I think multiple folks are reporting, that the Carolina Panthers interviewed Mike McCarthy this weekend for their head coaching vacancy. And so Kuz said, okay, if this job was open, which would be the more attractive job coming in? It's a great question. I mean, think of Carolina. They've got a quarterback situation that's not a fun one right now either. Not at all. Uh, Kyle Allen looked to be the part for about four games, so much so they said, where's Cam Newton going to go? Now everybody's like, wait a minute, don't don't take the key card away from Cam just yet. Let's make sure we figure out what we're doing here. But Cam Newton's been banged up. He's had some fantastic years. He's been ver- wildly inconsistent in my view, and now he's banged up. Uh, the, his style of play, is I don't think you can trust he is going to be available going forward. Uh, we will see with the Cam Newton situation. You have Christian McCaffrey. You have some players on that roster, but there's also some aging players like Olsen and Keekley. I don't know if I love that roster. I mean, this roster at least has some youthful parts to it at key spots. Running back, a wide receiver. That might not be an, a one wide receiver, but he's a solid two wide receiver. A uh, right tackle, I think, is going to be a good player. I know he hasn't had unbelievable weeks week in, week out, but I think he's going to be a good player, Jawan Taylor. And then you have those bookend defensive ends with Josh Allen and Ngakwe at the very least. So even if you just want to stop there, I think a lot of coaches and players would take uh, and, and GMs, I mean, would take those players. They would take Ngakwe and Allen and Fournette and Chark and Taylor. And if you think about those spots, those are pretty big building block spots uh, that that you want for your franchise. Now, it's not a left tackle. I think the jury's still out on Cam Robinson. And obviously, quarterback is another one, and we can debate on a cornerback. Uh, but Jaguars are in pretty good shape in a lot of those key positions. Quarterback not being the case. So I th- I think actually the Jaguars have a more stable quarterback position spot right now, even though it's an expensive one, and one you probably have a hard time getting out from under than Carolina does. And... I mean, you play in the AFC South. Like, if I'm a coach, I come over and be like, listen, the AFC South's been whatever. You know, Tennessee, do they have their quarterback of the future? Indianapolis, do they have their quarterback of the future? Houston, Deshaun Watson, they're good, but they've been wildly inconsistent. It's not like I'm going to the Patriots division. Not like I'm going to the San Francisco 49ers, Seattle Seahawks division. Not like I'm going to play Aaron Rodgers every year or the Chiefs. I think it's a, a pretty good division to kind of jump on board and be able to like, hey, I mean, shoot, man, you can get in at nine and seven some years. And uh, the NFC South is way more competitive, I think. Uh, I, but Breeze is on his way out. But the Saints seem to always be a factor. They have a lot of talent. The Falcons are a mystery half the time. Usually disappointing, and Tampa's been more disappointing than not, even though they have some decent pieces. We'll see what they do. So I would just say if you take some of those kind of situations, ownership is interesting. You don't really know the ownership situation that well in Carolina. We haven't seen enough of it. It's a new ownership situation. Shad Khan, I think, is going to give folks that work for Shad Khan here in the football side, I think gives them everything that he can give them. Plus maybe a little bit of a spin on the kismet. So, I mean, it's Jacksonville. It's Charlotte, 18 draft picks coming up in the next two years. I think Jacksonville's a better spot. Yeah, I do. I think Jacksonville's a better spot. I'm, what I'm trying to do here and why I'm a little tempered is I, I hate to be a um, homer guy about it. And I'm trying not to do that. 
But I think I just gave you a bunch of examples why I would say I think I'm accurate. I think if you lined this job up next to the Panthers, I think this is a better job. Misty responded saying that it was the Panthers because of the culture that they've shown this year compared to the Jaguars' culture, potentially. What Aren't they like 5-10? and 10? <laughs> Yeah, but I guess news-wise, I mean, Jaguars have had some situations going on. Yeah, and, and that's fair. And that's if that's your only how, – how significant is that? And here's what I would say. If I'm a football person, my guess is organizations all around the league, when they do poorly – that culture, the warts start to come out. They do well. Nobody talks the Nobody mentions the word culture when things are going well. They just don't. So, and I'm coming into a job and say, hey, you know what? We'll erase that culture problem in a heartbeat. We'll win. And the one other thing about it, I think I said this earlier. The one appealing thing for me is if I'm coming into a situation is I've got a lot of young guys in Jacksonville that I can help form the culture I want. They don't have much of a history here, right? They don't have much in their in their glossary of, hey, I played for this guy. He did it this way. I mean, we all naturally do that. I think Carolina might have a little bit more of that. Uh, and by the way, Ron Rivera is well-respected as you can get. So um, I, I do think the Jags have a better – I think it's a better job. I really do. Uh Again, the grievance thing is, is a separate issue and how you view that right now. And I also believe that could be part of the reason the Jaguars could end up keeping Marone and Caldwell because they could distance themselves from that. They could blame Coughlin for most of that, distance themselves for that. And if things go awry in 2020, well, then you don't have that cloud hovering over. Like we wouldn't be asking that question most likely next year because, well, the NFLPA probably won't put out another letter saying 25% of the grievances have been against the Jaguars. They are pinning that part all on Coughlin, right or wrong. That is all on Coughlin uh, right now as we uh, – we head into this offseason. Uh, we have a response that says, toss-up. I think you overvalued the Jags roster, maybe edge to Jags because of picks in the draft. Fair enough. Uh, Mike says, based on overall talent, probably Carolina. Based on longevity and current GM and draft outlook, Jaguars. All right, Mike K., appreciate jumping in uh, on that one all the way from Philadelphia. I will say this, too. And this is... Um, I think this is an important part of the equation that I don't know we always take into an account, take into account and also fans really uh, there's no reason for you to think of this but put yourself in a coach's position it's a volatile job right coaching in the NFL absolutely coaching at any level but really coaching in the NFL volatile job uh sometimes they fire you after one year you know Freddie Kitchens he going to be around after this year who knows that's just the way it works. Now, you usually end up with a pretty nice check, go sit on the beach for a while or get another job, and it's not bad. I mean, I'm not feeling sorry for you, but I'm saying it's a volatile job. If you had the Pittsburgh Steelers job open right now and, and everybody would come calling, not because of the history of it, but they also would come calling because they know the owner is very patient. Ownership has said, you know what, we are not going to on a dime just fire you. They've had three coaches in like the last however many years. It's, it's an incredible run. Again, success matters in that. It's not like they've all been bad. But I think Shad Khan has tried to showcase that here in Jacksonville, even in bad times. I think one of the reasons they did not fire Gus Bradley in 2015 
is because that would have been a bad look to coaches that would eventually like to come to Jacksonville because the coaching circle is tight and they would know that. Are you kidding? Like you gave Gus Bradley that roster in year one and two and you expected him to win in year three. And when he didn't, you canned him. That's the way it would be viewed in the coaching world. That's why I, that's not the only reason, but I think that's one of the reasons why they gave Gus Bradley another year. Because you kind of have to set the temperature of the way you're going to be as an owner. And I think Shad kind of showed patience. Now, you're going to throw at me Gene Smith and uh, Mike Malarkey. I think the big difference with that one is Gene Smith and Mike Malarkey, they said they could win right then. They thought they were ready to win. And it blew up so badly that I think that really ticked off Shad Khan. I, I think he's like, well, you told me we could win and we went 2-14. and 14. What are we doing here? Well, I think when Dave Caldwell took over, he said, listen, this is going to take a little bit. And he was right. It took a little bit. (laughs) So my point in all of this is showing Doug Marone another year, whether it works or not, showcases to potential coaching candidates that, hey, I'm going to give you some time. I'm not going to pull the plug on this thing in a year, in two years. And you know what? I'm most likely not going to pull the plug on this thing in three years. So. I don't know how important that is in terms of the decision this year for Shad Khan to make when it comes to Doug Marone. But if it does turn out to be that, I think this becomes an attractive place just because you know the owner can be patient through difficult times. And to me, that's an admirable thing. If you're going to a job and you know you're going to get at least three years and maybe four years, even if you don't have tremendous success and sometimes even when you really stink i think that's a nice way to keep a three million dollar salary a year and that's important to people by the way as it probably should be at least to the families so uh just another example of of how it does uh maybe factor in from a coaching perspective but i do i think the Jaguars' situation is better uh, i I'm, I'm trying not to be a homer here but i do i just laid out an example of carolina Jaguars. Listen, the Jaguars will not compete with the Dallas situation. They won't compete with the Giants situation. It's New York. It's Dallas. Totally different. Uh, that won't be uh, a, a, even a, a debate. It just won't. But I think when you talk about Carolina, absolutely. I think it's a flip a coin. And I think I can make the case that uh, even Jacksonville might be a better situation. Uh, than uh, than the Carolina Panthers. Uh, if you have a thought on that or two, let me know. Star Star 690 is the number, 904-362-9901. Before we uh, head to a break, and on the other side, we're going to have Florida State uh, head football coach Mike Norvell call in the show. So looking forward to that conversation with the new coach in Tallahassee. And a little bit later on, Austin Lane will join us. We'll get his thoughts on the Jaguars situation uh, as it turns right now in Jacksonville. Plus, we are going to draft the 12 Days of Christmas, Coos. I don't know if it, 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 this kind of feels like the 12 Days of Christmas could feel a little bit like the 2013 NFL draft. There aren't a lot of stars in in the picks. I was looking at the songs and it looked a lot harder than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, there are some real duds in there, much like <laughs> yeah, the 2013 sure. uh, NFL draft. You have your Christmas shopping done, Coos. I did. I finished it that one day during the show. During the show on Amazon. <laughs> so you're an all-Amazon shopper. Yeah, one, one, one go. We were good. Does anybody shop anything else but Amazon when they go online? 
I mean, I used to. Like, I would look up, like, good girl, good gifts for mom, and, like, just whatever website would pop up, I'd go there. So, like, that's kind of where I would end up with it. But now I'm kind of all Amazon. I got you. Get that phone. Uh, we'll finish up this segment and get to a break in a moment. But, uh, you know, I was thinking of something today. I actually went to the bank today. I needed some cash, and I went to the bank. It had been, like, the first time in forever that I'd gone to the bank. It's amazing how much you just don't need cash anymore. I used to like going to the bank. I was the last person to, in the, I think, this building to not get direct deposit. I think I've told that story. I didn't even have an option. Yeah, I, uh, well, I, I don't even, do you have an option anymore? You might I have don't to. think I did. When I got hired, it was automatically oh, like... Oh, was it? Yeah, I think so. I used to like going to the bank, dropping that check off. Back home I did. They always gave me cookies. <laughs> As a kid, you go get the lollipop. Yeah. Right? Usually it's pop. I didn't know uh, you get cookies now at the bank. Yeah. I did stop by the bank, though. Need a little cash. Thank goodness for Venmo and the cash app and a lot of credit cards. Hey, when we come back, Florida State football coach Mike Norvell. Oh, the first couple weeks going as the new man in Tallahassee. That's next on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Happy holidays, everybody. Hope you are getting off work and ready for a big week, a fun week with the family. Uh, hopefully you get a chance to watch some football, chill out, and uh, spend time. Uh, with the ones that you love, Brent Martineau here, uh, cooses along. Austin Lane will join us in a little bit. He's up in Wisconsin, actually. And right now, we are pleased to be joined by new Florida State football coach Mike Norvell here on ESPN 690. Coach, happy holidays. Thanks for taking some time a couple of days before Christmas. Uh, same to you guys. Appreciate you having me on. No doubt. All right, give us a sense of what's this last couple weeks, few weeks been like, a whirlwind, I'm sure, for you and, and everyone you're associated with, but you having fun with it or what? Absolutely. It's been a 40-yard dash right out of the gate. So it's been a, it's been a, uh, uh, an incredible reception. Uh, you're obviously extremely excited about the opportunity that I have uh, to lead this wonderful program. And, um, you know, it was with signing, with early signing day uh, right there, uh, you know, uh, you know, pressing up to, to the date that I got hired, there was going. You know, we hit a, we hit a lot of schools, uh, able to get a lot in front of a lot of uh, incredible student athletes, and it turned out to be a, a really good day for the Seminoles. Yeah, forty yard dash. It is uh, kind of a sprint right now. Overall, will be a marathon. We'll talk about the marathon part in a moment. But uh, first, the sprint part. How difficult is it now with the early signing day, uh, right around Christmas time, especially when? You do change jobs as a coach. That's got to be a big-time challenge. Do you feel like you lose a year, or you just really got to do the best you can to catch up in that current year? Well, you know, you want to make sure that every young man you bring into the program is the right fit. And, uh, you know, I'm a relationship-based coach, so uh, when we come in and there's basically 10 days till signing day, um, you know, a lot of it was evaluation, making sure that, uh, you know, that the, the, the young men we're going after, uh, were the right fit for what we're looking, looking for from a, a skill set, uh, a perspective, but then also, you know, getting to know them, their families. Uh, you know, there's not really much time for a recruiting speech, but, uh, you know, I just tried to open my, open my heart and let them know who I was, you know, present the, the vision of where Florida State football is going to be going. And, um, you know, we were, we were fortunate enough to, uh, to be able to attract, uh, you know, great, some great young men and, uh, you know, and, and also with, with young men that had been committed to the program, uh, just to, to give them comfort for what, uh, 
you know, what was to come as well. Uh, yeah, overall, I thought you did a nice job uh, on the recruiting trails, getting a couple quarterbacks signed as well. We'll get into that a little bit more. Mike Norvell, Florida State football coach with us. Uh, you said when you, you were with these families and young men, said what Florida State is all about and where it's going. What does that sound like to you? What does that mean to you? I mean, one of, this is one of the uh, one of the great uh, programs programs in all of college football. You look at our tradition, fan base. You know the uh, the projection of of uh, you know where this where this program uh, you know has been, but the potential of of where where we can take it is is what makes it special. And you know the the brand. Uh, I know I said in my opening press conference, it's an iconic brand, and you know there's a great deal of excitement uh, when people uh, you know talk about Florida State football and. Um, you know what it what it has been in the past, and you know I'm I'm you know absolutely uh, you know, certain and passionate about uh, the process of where it's going to go uh, to get us back to that point. And so uh, it's been it's been a a great transition. You know the the uh, you know, everybody that I've met, just the reception that is that has been given is something that I'm I'm very grateful for, and uh, you know obviously excited for. Uh, for the next step ahead. Mike Norvell, a new Florida State football coach with us on Action Sports Jackson on ESPN 690. You know, sometimes I think recruiting for the outside looking in, and I'm not talking your world, Coach, but I'm just talking maybe our world or even the fans, kind of seems like the sales business, the pitch business. Well, we had Jeff Sims in, uh, Sandalwood quarterback, obviously was committed to Florida State and ends up going to Georgia Tech, but that was after a, a conversation, a heart-to-heart with you and him. I think you came to Jacksonville for that meeting. Uh, what is that part of it? like when you have to be up front with a young man and say hey this is what's best for us this is what's best for you but that doesn't always mean maybe coming to our school well i mean you know i try to be open open and honest with, with every young man and family about uh, um you know what the expectations you know, can be and uh, you know it's uh you know i think you know obviously jeff is a is a uh, phenomenal quarterback does a lot of great things and we were we were able to have just a a real heart-to-heart conversation and uh you know i think uh, we talked about his future, talked about uh, what that was going to look like, uh, and then you know every young man has a, has a choice of what they what they want to do and what the, what they're going to look at uh, you know moving forward. And um, you know for us, it, it doesn't matter to uh, if it's a young man that we sign or or you know young men that go other you know, other places. You know, I just want to be open and honest with them of, of what the expectation should be, and uh, that's how I've always recruited. That's uh, uh, you know that's kind of just uh, just who we're going to be, and so. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited about the young men that we were able to bring into the class. Uh, you know, I think I think they are the the right fit for what we're looking for. Yeah, I think it's a good way to be. Mike Norvell uh, with us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Coach, uh, I know. Um uh, you probably do a ton of interviews, so you might not look back on this one, but we're on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. And if you ever see uh, this interview, I, I'm wearing the ugly Christmas sweater thing. So I want to let you know I have better style than this most of the time. Uh, I'm not always uh, in this kind of outfit, but uh, we appreciate you being on with us. Nonetheless, uh, even on the video channels there on ESPN 690. What did you get in the quarterbacks that you signed? Obviously, uh, that is something every football program needs, every coach needs and wants to be successful. Tell us a little bit about the young men you signed here in December. You know, I, I, you know the, when you look at the, the, the two young men, I think they're both, um, you know, extraordinary, you know, characters, you know, great, uh, great students of the game. Um, you know, I'm excited about the potential that both of them have. I tell you, Rodemaker from, uh, from Bedosta, Georgia. Uh, his, his 
you know, had a had a stellar high school career. You know, he's extremely accurate. Uh, the son of a coach. You know, he's a uh, you know he's a, uh, a young man that has I think a huge potential in, in front of him. Um, you know, he was he committed to us you know, the, the, right before the first weekend, so we were excited about that. And uh, and then uh, you know to be able to have Chubba Purdy, you know, for, you know a, a four star quarterback from from Arizona that was you know, previously committed to another another uh, school in our conference. And um, you know, he's uh, I believe he's a, a special quarterback as well. You know, he's a kind of a dual threat. Uh, it's you know great accuracy, arm strength. Uh, you know, you know, both these guys, the their football IQ is is extremely high. So. Um, but then, you know, when you see when you see the, the the playmaking ability, not not only when things are are clean and and uh, everything's great for him in the pocket, but when things break down, uh, the ability to be able to extend plays and uh, you know hurt people with their legs, uh, that's what I think both these guys bring to the table. You just mentioned the flip uh, from uh, from a, a rival in conference. How much catching up do you think you have to do as you look at this? It, obviously, Clemson's been so good. Uh, in the ACC, but now Dan Mullen's got it going at Florida. I mean, you want to be good against your rivals. That's part of the success. In your view, how much catching up do you have to do with some of the teams that you'll compete with year in, year out, and also uh, that the fans really rally around trying to beat in terms of rivalry games? You know, for us, it's just making sure that, uh, that we're getting better uh, within our program every single day, and I try not to to get carried away with it, with what others are doing, uh, you know, outside of our walls. If we can focus on being the best version of ourselves and uh, making sure that we're attracting uh, the the right student athlete into our program, and then when they get here to develop them at, at a high level, um, you know, I've, I've got a tremendous amount of faith in, in in this team and the coaching staff that we're, we've been able to assemble. And uh, you know, I, I believe that we'll uh, we'll compete at a very high level. As you look at this roster, 300-pound young men that are athletic are very hard to find. It's hard to find in the NFL. It's hard to find in high school. It's hard to find in college. But Florida State and Tallahassee, it's really been difficult to find good offensive line play. As you looked at this and maybe watched them on film or, or you look at it right now, do you have – do you like what you have? Is there a lot of ground to gain in that respect on the offensive line? And how important to what you want to do is having that offensive line be productive and good? Well, I think you always look at, the, at both sides of the trenches. You know, offense gives the line. That's what we want our program to be built off of. Uh, you know, I like the, I like the talent of what I've seen. You know, we've got some great young talent guys that were kind of thrown into the fire early in their careers. Um, and you know, for for us, it's about continuing to attract that uh, uh, that type of, uh, of of young man that can come in and uh, be impactful early, but also you know develop through their through their career. And so that's going to be a big point of emphasis. Uh, you know, for us and making sure that we're putting them in a position to be successful, um, and then you know, make sure that they, you know, with each young man that we we uh, also sign and, and attract here to Florida State, uh, you know, they fit the fit the bill and the mold of of, of what we're looking for. And uh, you know, I'm 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 very confident in what we're going to be able to do in that that regards as well. Mike Norvell with us, Florida State head coach here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. I know Memphis has a special place in your heart. It should. Uh, fantastic job you did there. And you hand the program off to Ryan Silverfield, and you probably know this. He's a local guy here in Jacksonville from the Bowl School. How comforting is it that you hand it off to someone like that? Uh, because I'm sure you want to see Memphis do well, even though you're no longer there. Oh, there's no question about it. And Ryan was... Uh, um it was. It's a special situation because Ryan came into Memphis. So it, it was a part of my first staff, 
and so he he was a part of how we built it. Um, you know, the, the the culture, the values that were in place, or something that uh, that were dear to his heart. You know, he was he was my deputy head coach there, so uh, played a, a, a vital role in in, uh, in us being able to to get the job done there at the level that we that we were. And so for them to uh, uh, give him the opportunity to carry it on is something that I take a great deal of pride in. And you know, I'll be uh, I'll be rooting from afar here in Tallahassee. So uh, just definitely you know want want the best for that program. You're a Texas guy, born in Irving, Texas. Uh, I want to ask you about the Cowboys. Don't worry about that. But will you be able to pull on some of your ties in Texas? You've got a great recruiting state here in Florida. Uh, how does that work? I- explain that maybe to the to the listeners a little bit. I mean, you want to be able to recruit everywhere, but obviously you're talking about two hotbed areas in Texas, and now you live in one in Florida. Um, and, and we're going to start in the state of Florida. I mean, there's so many uh, phenomenal uh, student athletes that uh, uh, that we have just great access to, uh, you know, here in our home state. And uh, you know, I think when you you know, I've recruited my entire career here in the Southeast region, whether it's Georgia, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, and then you know, being you know, Louisiana and, and Texas are places that I've that I have uh, you know I grew up and, and have lived. And so uh, you know, you're going to always rely on the relationship. But uh, you know, for us, you know, the you know, with, with all the Seminoles that are that are scattered through the state of Florida, uh, whether it's in coaching positions, that was the thing that probably stood out to me as as much as anything else. With teachers, coaches, you know, uh, you know, everybody, uh, you know, within the uh, the school system, and and just you know, the the access to, to a phenomenal uh, you know you, you know, type of athlete and and young man, uh, you know, here in our great state, that's that's where we're going to start, and then we'll kind of branch out from there, utilizing the resources and and uh, relationships that we have that. Have been built among our coaching staff. Wrapping up with Mike Norvell, Florida State football coach. Appreciate you taking the time a couple of days before Christmas to join Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. You are uh, uh, building this staff. How difficult is that? And I've always had this curiosity, Coach. How much do you lean on people that you know and like and can get along with, but you also have to find a really good football coach. Those two are not always the same. How challenging is that? Because you meet and network with so many people in your business. Well, you know, it's been it's been unique uh, for me personally. And since I since I was the uh, you know uh, head coach, you know, for the last four years, I've had to hire I think it's twenty five assistant coaches. Uh, that's second most in the country, uh, right behind Nick Saban, because um, I've had. You know, been a part of staffs that have had great success, and, and coaches have gotten promotions, been able to move on. Uh, some of them had coaching opportunities, others, uh, you know, you know, coordinating jobs, and you know, have had further in their career. So uh, I've had, had an opportunity to work with a lot of great coaches over over that time, and then throughout my entire coaching career. But really, you know, coming to Florida State, it's all about finding. You know, uh, put together a staff that's a right fit for this place and for for what we're looking to do to the way that we're going to develop and build this program uh, back to where it, where it's uh, you know needs to be as one of the nation's elite. It's about it's a, it's about finding the right fit, just like we talked about with with the evaluation of the student athletes that we're going to bring. And so uh, I'm excited about the staff we're putting together. I think it's uh, uh, it's going to be one of the ba- best staffs in the country. And uh, you know we're we're definitely checking all those boxes. I think you've got a lot of people excited about the staff you're building. Looks good so far. Mike Norvell uh, with us on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690, Florida State head coach. All right, just give us a last question here. Give us, What happens for you like the next week? What, what's, what is this like right now? Because the Knolls are playing in the Sun Bowl uh, in El Paso on uh, New Year's Eve at noontime. Uh, are, are you kind of watching things, looking at things, involved in meet? How, how is this role right now in this transition period? Can you give us a little bit of an illustration? 
And you know, my my job since I since I uh, you know, accepted it you know a couple Sundays ago is is truly been focused on the on the personnel, and I'm here to support uh, in, in every aspect uh, for the bowl game. But I will not be co- be coaching in the bowl game. Uh, I'm going to join the I'll join the team there the, the day before, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, you'll be there to to support them. But uh, you know, they're, they're in great hands right now, and uh, you know, my job is to to make sure that I've been able to uh, finalize the last. Uh, uh, last few pieces of our staff, and and uh, you know this last week was great because I was able to sit down with every current player on our team and and have about a fifteen minute meeting with them to get to know them a little bit and uh, let them let them fully understand uh, uh, you know what uh, what the expectation is going to be here moving forward. And uh, I'm just couldn't be more excited about the opportunity we have in front of us. But uh, that's that's kind of what I'm what I'm going to be doing. And I actually came came back to to Memphis. Uh, uh, you know, it, uh, here, you know, there yesterday, and uh, so I'll get to spend spend Christmas with the family, and, and then we'll be uh, we'll be right back on the road, uh, you know, getting back down to Tallahassee, and uh, you know, building everything up for the set, for the spring semester uh, for when it begins, you know, here on the uh, January sixth. Well, I know Noel's fans are fired up. Uh, enjoy the family time for a couple of days. Happy holidays. We appreciate you taking some time, and I got a lot of talent over here in Jacksonville, Coach. So I think we'll see you from time and time uh, here on the first coast. Oh, absolutely, and thanks for having me on, and have a Merry Christmas, and go Knowles. All right, appreciate it. Mike Norvell, a uh, new Florida State football coach, uh, obviously comes from Memphis. A lot of stops along the way. Uh, 38-year-old Mike Norvell, I think this guy's going to be good, uh, and I think Knowles fans are pretty fired up. The staff looks good, a couple quarterbacks signed, no doubt about it. The Knowles have to fix that offensive line. They have to find a way uh, to get better there. I mean, it's as simple as that. They have not been good there in a long time, uh, and they have to get better there. I think uh, FSU fans are pretty fired up, pretty excited about Mike Norvell. I would be, too. I think he's uh, going to be a fantastic find uh, for the Florida State football program. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 rolls on with a couple of thoughts. Cruz, I want you to jump in on this one. I kind of liked what Isaiah Thomas did. Should I or should I not? I did not like what Jalen Ramsey did. And I know I'm not alone here in Jacksonville on that front. Plus, the 12 Days of Christmas draft. And we'll share a Christmas memory with you as well. Star Star 690-904-362-9901 if you want to jump in. Brent Martin Oku is hanging out on a Monday, a couple days before Christmas. Thanks for hanging out with us on ESPN 690. I played my technique, trusting that he was going to be over top. Um, he was. Very disappointing. <laughs> He's a beauty. Jalen Ramsey. Poor Tyler Rapp. Taking the rap for the blown coverage on Saturday, eliminating the uh, Rams. Jalen now has third and 18 he was a part of here in Jacksonville. And on that drive, third and 16 and third and 16. Wow. Hey, let's bring in Action Sports Jack's Austin Lane right now. Austin, how's the snowboarding? How's the slopes? Is it cold, snowy? Give us a weather report. I feel like I'm talking to O'Halloran. <laughs> Brent, what's up, man? Well, safely, it's not so cold where I've been locked up in the house like Jack Nicholson from The Shining. So I've been outside. Um, it's actually really nice around here. It's like in the 30s. So that kind of makes for prime snowboarding conditions. Uh, yesterday was my first time out on the hill this year. 
and there was like a big, like a giant ski race going on. So it was kind of packed yesterday. Today it was still in the 30s, um, and it was a lot nicer. People weren't out. I guess the, the college kids were sleeping in. Must have had a crazy night of partying on Sunday night. So like the hill was pretty much all to myself. So it was, uh, it was definitely a plus today. That's awesome. So it's all to yourself. Yeah. How many runs did you make? Did you even count? Oh yeah, yeah. So I have like an app on my cell phone. It, it tells me how fast I'm going. It tells me how many runs I did. So today I got 30 runs in. Wow. Give me some data. How fast did you go? Analytics. So today, yeah. So so today, you know, um, I, I didn't push it too hard because I have a new snowboard. I'm still trying to adjust to. So today we got up to 51 miles per hour. Woohoo! Oh yeah. 51. I was behind yeah. someone today on the highway that wasn't driving that fast. <laughs> so it's uh, it's actually going to be my goal. By the time it's all said and done, you know, I'll have about like four or five more days of snowboarding to do it. But I'm going to try to get over 60 miles per hour this year. So we'll see. That's awesome. Uh, by the yeah. way, is it kind of known? The, my interpretation of your trip to Wisconsin is you go snowboarding and you really don't yeah. visit with any of the family, uh, Ronan, Cody, <laughs> none of them. I mean, mom, nothing. I mean, I feel like you just go snowboarding. Like the way you glow and, and you light up about going snowboarding, I don't think you really want to see anybody. You just want to go snowboarding. Yeah. No, that's a that's a pretty fair observation. As bad as that sounds, you know. Basically, I uh, I come from a pretty small family, so obviously I have to take my rounds for the holidays to see them all. But yeah, usually when I come back home, it's primarily focused on snowboarding, and that gets gives me a way too because my stepdad's a big skier. So that that's kind of like our father son bonding time right there. So usually I have like four or five days with him when we go out together. So yeah, I don't see a lot of the families. Sometimes the friends come out as well, but. I have no problem just going by myself and putting my headphones on and just kind of going to the whole group thing, man. All right. Uh, hey, listen, we've got 12 days of Christmas draft coming up. That's why you're we calling do. in, really. That's the most important yes, thing. But Absolutely. before we get to that point, a couple of quick hitters. No surprise yeah. with the Jags yesterday. I'm sure you were on the slopes more than watching, but, I mean. I was on the slopes, but I actually watched the game this morning. Thankful for DVR. <laughs> yeah, DVR is a good thing. I mean, uh, yeah. what did you make of it? Uh, Minshew's play, obviously horrendous start. But, I mean, did you learn anything yeah. that we already didn't know uh, from this football team yesterday? No. I mean, what what you get is kind of what you see, man. And in terms of, you know, the, the game plan on offense, anytime you go down 14 to nothing right off the bat, I feel like the game script kind of goes out the window a little bit. So, I get what people are saying, like, well, what kind of game plan was that on the offensive side of the ball? It's hard to say because once you go down 14 to nothing, you throw everything out. So from that perspective, obviously it was bad. Um, you know, Minshew, obviously he had some struggles a little bit. I think Conley, you know, I mean, Conley caught a couple TDs though. But overall, I mean, it's more of what we've seen, Brent. You know, I mean, the defense had trouble stopping Freeman, whether it was uh, in the basketball or obviously in the passing game as well. And that's kind of been the MO of the linebackers all year. So it was just more of kind of what reassured everything, you know, and especially now where we have, um, you know, people speculating that Doug Marone's job safe, Dave Caldwell's job safe. Well, we saw kind of what we've been seeing all year, and I think it's the fact that, yes, Tom Coughlin had a huge influence on this team, and it was felt everywhere. But as far as the on-field performances was to be concerned, I feel like you can't put the finger all on Coughlin on that one, especially yesterday against the Falcons. And that's what I've kind of said earlier in the show, Austin. I didn't expect this football team to look that different because Coughlin got fired. I mean, Coughlin yeah. is more about the culture in the building and that they didn't yeah. like and the grievance situation. Coughlin, whether he was there or not there this weekend, I don't think that was going to change. If people expected there to be a change in terms of the play on the field, 
I, I didn't get that. I, I really didn't. Like, to me, I didn't even expect it. So, therefore, it's not even much of a story for me. But, yeah, he might be dipping into meetings. He might be out on the practice field. But it's not like he was coaching up the offensive linemen and all of a sudden they got a different offensive line coach in there. That's not how this worked. I'm not stunned at all that that didn't change. Now, you bring up the other part of it. And you bring up a very interesting part of it. If this continues to look the same, it's decent effort, no doubt. I mean, it's not like they're not trying. But this continues to look the same as it's looked now for two months. Why is there all this smoke for Marone and Caldwell to come back? Have you been able to wrap your arms around it? Maybe it was a trail ride on this on the mountaintop <laughs> that you were able yeah. to think about, not going 51 miles an hour. But, it, I mean, <laughs> can you figure it out? Like, why is there smoke that this might happen in Jacksonville and these guys will be back in 2020? Well, it's funny, you know, because, I mean, obviously I'm surrounded by Green Bay Packer fans around here, but they, they kind of know what I do. They know where I've come from in Jacksonville. So everyone around here has been curious, too. They're asking, oh, because like Tom Coughlin, you know, like you guys should probably be better off now. And, and I, I answered that thing like probably five or six times a day, bro. People are like, oh, Tom Coughlin's gone. Now you guys are probably sucking back your winning wave. And I, I'm sitting here just thinking, I don't know if that's true or not, because – I get it from Shad Khan's standpoint, okay? Shad Khan is going to point the finger and say Tom Coughlin didn't do his job, and that had a direct correlation to the wins and losses, the performance on the field. You saw the same thing with Gus Bradley a couple of years ago, right, where it was all Gus Bradley's fault. They got rid of him. They brought somebody else in, and you had better results. And I get Shad Khan's standpoint of making somebody the scapegoat because, to me, that's the easy thing to do. It's easy for us to, you know, in the media, if you really wanted to, to be like, it was all Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin's gone. You're going to see an improvement now. But I can't come along with that, Brett, because this is football, and this is the ultimate team game. And like I said, while Tom Coughlin did have a major influence of how the players perceived playing for the Jaguars, how they perceived that culture, I understand that part of it. But Doug Marone, a lot of blame falls on him too, obviously. And we saw it in preseason with penalties, and that's echoed game after game after game. And it's something that hasn't been addressed and it hasn't been cleaned up. That falls on Doug Marone. And then if you want to keep on going, obviously the, the under expectations to that uh, this year of the defense, well, that falls on Todd Walsh. But guess what? Doug Marone brought, I mean, kept Todd Walsh. I mean, the, the, they go hand in hand. So do you have to kind of question Doug Marone's abilities to maybe put a nice staff together? Because the staff this year, whether it's Johnny Filippo on offense or on defense now with Todd Walsh, they have not been performing well. So that falls on Doug Marone as well. So I'm, I'm not just saying point the finger at Tom Coughlin and all your problems going away. Far from it, man. This is a team game, and a lot of people need to be held accountable. And I feel like it's the easy way out just to say this is all Tom Coughlin. We'll get, you know, we'll, we'll let Doug and Dave do their things, and everything will be gravy. I don't see that happening. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's fascinating to hear you talk about it, and other things come to mind. I still believe, we talked about this a little bit last week, that Doug Marone was – didn't really pick his staff. Tom Coughlin had an influence in it. I think Shad Khan might even said, hey, Todd Wash is staying. I like Todd Wash as defensive coordinator. They might have had to keep Todd Wash. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just my thinking is some of these folks that stayed because just Gus Bradley essentially left. Well, they were it, it's not like you said, hey, Doug Marone, here's your team and go make your team. Go make you be you're you're in charge. Well, he never really has had that chance. So maybe that is something that Shad Khan is about to give him. Say, hey, you know what? You've had too many too many cooks in the kitchen. Here you go. You're the chef. And and you do what you think's best. But 
Sorry to tell you, you only got one year to figure it out. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm just. I continue to try to find answers. This isn't me like making excuses and saying, "Hey, this is why they should come back. This is why they are coming back." We don't know they're coming back. There's momentum for them coming back. And what I'm trying to wrap my arms around and my mind around is, okay, what might Shad Khan be thinking here from a business standpoint, from a Jag standpoint? Why this could be successful, or why now? Why the timing isn't right to hit the reset button? So all those things certainly. Uh, enter my mind. I want to ask you about a couple other things. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, sure. you heard the uh, soundbite. You probably saw a little bit of the game. I did. I Do you did, have yeah. any idea? I've, I've seen different things. Uh, how much of that was Jalen Wright and what he said in the locker room, and how will that not be received well in the locker room, or, or does it matter? Or does Jalen have some fault on this play for the technique and whatever else he played uh, to give up that, that big conversion by Emmanuel Sanders? Yeah, you know, so first of all, the, the, the play itself, I mean, I, I need to know what kind of call they're in. Like, if you hear yeah. Jalen explain it, what he's saying makes sense, but at the same time, you have to wonder how much of that is scripted to try to make him look better. Um, you know, Jalen, I mean, he's obviously a great football player on the field, but he also has a pretty great mind in terms of the coverage and the defense. So I kind of take him at his word for what he was saying. But now here's the real issue, you know, and he was brought in to kind of be that culture change, right? He, he was brought in that to add that attitude on defense. Kind of like Cleo Mack was brought into Chicago to kind of turn their whole program around, which he did. Jalen Ramsey was brought into the exact same thing, right? They've always been an offensive-oriented team. Yes, you got Aaron Donald. Yes, you got Dante Fowler Jr., but people know you for your offense. They know you for your RPO. And Jalen was kind of brought there to change that, I guess, perception a little bit. And that's the problem. When you get brought in there to do that, and you're kind of the face of the perception on the defense, and I get it, Aaron Donald's there too, but Jalen Ramsey is like the he's the big name. And when Jalen Ramsey's there and you're, the, you're considered the leader of that team, the last thing you can do, and I don't care if you're in the right or if you're in the wrong or not, but you can't throw guys underneath the boss like that. You just can't do it. you know. And I don't, give a, I don't care if that guy's going to be gone next year. I don't care if that guy never gets to rep the NFL again. The fact that you threw somebody underneath the bus after the game, that's that's just not cool, man. And I have a feeling that's not going to fly in the locker room either. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I, I think, you know, especially when you're losing and especially the way that ended, to say that, that that's not going to sit well. Uh, you real, no. I, I wonder, uh, the Rams have messed up in a lot of ways. It's not just the Jalen Ramsey thing. The Rams are in a terrible spot going forward. I mean, they're off. Like, that is a bad situation, don't you think? Oh, without a doubt. You know, I mean, this is a team, Brent, who – came so close last year, you know, that they obviously going to go to the Super Bowl. They get beat by the Patriots. Granted, you know, they lost some guys in free agency. They lost Sue. Uh, they lost some of their secondary. But all things considered, they had pretty much every single piece on offense coming back, right? And you had Jared Goff, who you think, all right, he's got another year of experience under his belt, another year of experience on offense. I mean, if, if you're, you're picking who's going to go to the Super Bowl this year, I think the Rams are one of the favorites. And for whatever reason, whether it's the, you know, golf's kind of fallen off a little bit, if it seems to get hit to the game, trying to figure out that RPO now, and they have a good feel for it, whatever the reason is, the Rams are, are in trouble. And this was a team that kind of went all in this year and said, you know what, we're going to go to Super Bowl this year, it's going to be a bust. And right now, it's obviously going to be a bust because if you look at their draft picks coming up, they're few and far between right now. All right, uh, a couple other quick things. Hey, Coos, are you all right over there? Because maybe no uh, Anthony Davis or LeBron on Christmas Day. Wait, a r- the Grinch stole the NBA. But on top of that, there's games where the Warriors are being shown and the Pelicans are being shown. So it's like 
the only actual matchup, if if LeBron James and AD actually sit, the only game that will have, in theory, the main players or the the star players playing will be Bucks Sixers. And it, and it can be Bucks by about thirty. So I mean, nobody wants to see that except me, I guess. But yeah, yeah. So not a great rundown potentially. We were talking about yeah. it. We were joking about it earlier. I was talking with a friend uh, earlier today on our podcast, and we were looking at the betting lines that came out right when they announced the uh, Christmas games. They had the Warriors as uh, plus 1.5 to the Rockets to start the season. Wow. That was before any of the games started, obviously, but now that would be a way different number. Wow, how about that? Uh, one more basketball note. How about Isaiah Thomas going into the crowd yeah. in your land, Philly land, uh, for the for Washington? What did you think about this whole setup? Um, and did I see it right? Because I kind of was like, you get is it automatic ejection for doing that? Yeah, if you go into the stand, you're out. That's what I thought. Okay, but I mean, he didn't go in and in kind of like a throwing punches kind of way. He just was like, hey, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. I I thought he, I don't know if it was worth the ejection, but I think if you're going to do something like that, and, and I thought that was actually kind of mild. Well, the I mean, fan, the, the, the fan got a year. I got a year out Yeah, he's suspe- he suspended for a year, I believe, is what the uh, ruling came out. I mean, out. the quote was awesome because the guy, was like, what he said, he was like, well, I just wanted a frosty. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you hit both free throws, it was a frosty, right? So, I mean, great Wendy's commercial, I guess. For sure. <laughs> Wendy's, hook that guy up. Like, get on get on with him You're now. Right. You have an opportunity. You're right. They should be like, remember it was like uh, Bud Light or something yeah. with the, the fan in the playoffs that caught the that held the beer in his hand and caught the foul ball? Well, that's what I was going to say to Austin to, like, explain. Explain it in a way that Austin would probably be on on the fan side would be you know, you know in in uh, baseball what is it when someone steals a base you get a free Doritos Locos Tacos yep. sure so yep. if you had the opportunity to provide some noise that might help that happen wouldn't you take that opportunity <laughs> oh without a doubt I'm not gonna turn down anything free man for sure so I'm all about it I guess my question to you Ben listen I think Thomas is a guy who obviously started out strong, looked like he was going to be the future uh, in Boston, you know, and then he kind of kind of goes, you know, he goes to the Cavs, then he goes to the Lakers, and kind of had a downfall of his career a little bit, and I was for a resurgence of Washington. But, like, with things like this, like, is he now just kind of like the folk hero in Washington? Like, is he almost like, like dare say, like a T.J. McConnell, where, like, this guy kind of shows, like, grittiness a little bit, where fans can kind of rally behind. He's not the tallest guy, obviously. So do you think that fans are going to immediately not start buying Thomas Rizzo just because of that incident? Um, I don't know. I would say his his play definitely shows that he could be a guy you can get behind because he, you know, obviously with the Celtics, he was putting up phenomenal numbers and he has he has flashes of those now. Um, and I think even now, like now, he's starting to come back from the injury in the time between now and essentially. Uh, the run he did with the the Celtics, I think there was like whatever the hip injury that he had, it was an actual serious serious yeah, surgery yeah. that he had to do. So I think it's actually just taken him this long to kind of recover, even though he's tried to come back a few other times. Is is uh, Isaiah Thomas uh, the second version? Uh, Jeremy Lin? No, no, I'd put him above. I like Jeremy Lin was like a like. I don't want to even say a flash because he was still really. No, I get it. it was like a few weeks. Thing. But he was he was like a legitimate like Isaiah Thomas was like a legitimate star. Yeah. And people but for were like, like a year. Yeah, That's on the it. Celtics, and then it went away. I don't. But the injury is a big part of that. 
Like, if he wasn't injured, he probably would have played more in the playoffs or played better in the playoffs, and then who knows where that story goes. I'm trying to think. I mean, you're talking big-time star potential there, too, but then yeah. he kind of got to the star potential. almost looked like he became a guy you didn't want on your team anymore in, in Boston. There were there were some situations going on, and he was, I believe at some point, he was upset with the fan base. Um, his his I don't want to bring family into it, but I, I believe his sister passed away during oh, that, that playoff during run. That. You're right. You're and right. I think right. the fans were upset with him for something, and so it kind of created a rift. But I don't think it was fully that. But I think that kind of started the, the situation. The and then, disconnection there. And then the Celtics thinking, well, maybe he's not our future. Well, they were right. And they sold high on him, yeah. They did. I mean, they made a good move uh, in that yeah. uh, respect. Okay. All right, let's do it, man. Uh, we've got to get you back to the slopes, or at least the family. Um, can you night ski up there? Uh, yes, you can nice ski, but actually, um, I'm not going to be doing that today. I'm hanging out with the family for a while, going to have some dinner, and then going to get some late-night MMA training in uh, at a gym that's kind of about an hour away from uh, where I grew, grew up or whatever, in Iola, and then I'm uh, going to watch the Packer game because there's a bunch of Packer parties going on around uh, town right now. Obviously, there's a lot of hype with the Packers, so people are, are ready to watch them beat the Vikings, I guess. Hey, by the way, um, you know, going to the 40 40- there in Iowa, Scandinavia, Wisconsin, does not count for MMA training. <laughs> this, this I'm aware of, friend. We're, we're just going to forty till Friday or Saturday. All right. Time off. All right, let's do it. The uh, twelve okay. days of Christmas draft. Go ahead. You're yeah. you're you're like on the away field, so you get the first dibs. Uh, are you sure that? Because I was going to actually give you the first dibs because I'm killing you in fantasy football, and I kind of felt bad about yeah, that. Yeah, by the so, way, I forgot to mention that. Now, it's not like I'm losing to one of these other schmucks around here. But <laughs> at the same time, I mean, really, Saquon Barkley does nothing, nothing all yeah. year. And yep. then yesterday goes off for like 350. 41. 41 points. I mean, it's unbelievable. That was ridiculous. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and by oh, the way, yeah. you know what's a bummer for me? Like, Michael Thomas did well, but uh, – my receivers are the strength of my team. Tyler Lockett sure. and Keenan Allen and uh, DeAndre Hopkins. Those three guys were terrible yesterday. So, uh, Very disappointing. Not good. But we have two weeks. So i got to try to catch up. I need a big night out of Aaron Jones tonight for the Packers. So go, go, Pack, go. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, you are leading, so you get to uh, you get to do it. Go. Okay. Uh, for my top pick, Brent, and, and I get it, you know, the rings are very intriguing. But I'm going with eight mil- babes of milking for my first pick. Um, eight maids at my disposal sounds pretty good. They can clean. They can pick me up uh, some dry cleaning. Uh, and the question is, what are they milking? Are they milking a cow? Not that cool because I don't drink dairy. But if they are milking a goat, so you can have goat's milk, well, that's a game changer because right there, if they're, goat, if they're milking a goat, that's like $10,000 a year just worth of goat's milk because they do not give that stuff away. I've been to Fresh Market. I know how much it is. By the way, I, I, I think you put more work into this. I, was say, I knew Austin did way more homework on this than I did. Oh, dude, I played out so many scenarios you have no idea. But I'm going for the money grab. I'll take the five golden rings, damn it. And I'm going to a pawn yes. shop. Yes. <laughs> well, it's funny to say that, Brent, because actually I estimated how much five golden rings would cost at about 200 bucks per pop right now. That's what the market of gold is going for. You get about 1000 bucks in return. Not bad. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> hey, it helps cover some Christmas gifts. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. So good. Uh, my draft is already shaping up nicely. So for my second pick, I'm going to take 11 Pipers piping. Um, I think big pipes are pretty badass, whether it's the Scottish uh, Braveheart, whether it's Bond Scott from ACDC playing 
Uh, it's a long way to top the rock and roll. I just think bagpipes are cool. I get 11 of them. Bagpipes. Second pick. All right. Don't judge me. Steph, turn off the radio. Kids, turn off the radio. But my <laughs> second pick is Nine Ladies Dancing. <laughs> I'm not mad at you for that. I'm going to say there, there's money in this, but I'm, I'm going to stay away from that. Believe me, it was a tough pick between number one and number two there. Golden rings or nine ladies dancing? Yes. We've got to remember, too, I mean, with the ladies dancing, if you're in a bar and there's nine ladies dancing, you're probably surrounded by a bunch of weird guys as well. So that's not a bad pickup, Brent. Not a bad pickup at all. All right, so for my third pick, I am going with... Ten Awards of Leaping. Um, I've seen documentaries like Game of Thrones, Robin Hood, Star Wars, and all I know is that lords are a big deal. If I have ten of them at my disposal and they're leaping, I feel like that's going to be a pretty good party. So I'm taking ten lords of leaping. I like it. Speaking of party, I was going to go 12 drummers drumming. I mean, it's never okay. bad to have a little percussion unit at your disposal. Uh, I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at that. All right. Let me see. Okay. I, got, I have this all knocked out here. So hold on. Okay. My fifth pick. I'm taking six geese a lane. Um, farm the table with eggs. Yes, please. I've never had a goose egg before, but I assume. Farm the table. I like good. it. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, like, once again, I'm not sure what a goose egg is going for these days, but if I have six of them laying, and that's, you know, probably 10 eggs a day, it's giving me a lot of eggs to sell and eat, man. So that's a lot of protein for me. I'm taking six geese a lane. Well, I don't want to go hungry. I need some food on the table as well. I'll go with three French hens. Oh, okay. Have you ever had a French hen before? Uh, no. That's no. really a thing. Yeah, actually, uh, it's not a French hen, but what do you can buy in that store? The hen... Uh, Cornish game hen? Cornish, there you go. Cornish hen. Oh, damn it. Yep. There you go. Steph All likes right. that. By the way, just to chime in with it, it looks like a goose egg is about $13 an egg. <laughs> oh, but, I mean, but that, a lot of protein. way more than I'm going to be making than you said. Five rings that Brent has in the first round. <laughs> Very good Brent's call. Fire before this thing's even over. People are going to run you out of town. Uh, my next pick, where are we at? Seven here? Pick number six, seven? I think it's out. Seven. Okay, my, uh, my seventh pick. See, this is hard, man, because we, we're kind of down to the bare minimum. I'm going seven swans and swimming. I'm sorry, not swimming. They're swimming. Seven swans and swimming. Um, I think it would be cool for ten minutes. After that, whatever, but I'm taking that. When you're done with them, give them to John Bachman. Inside joke. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, number uh, eight of the draft order. It's <sighs> really good stuff. Um, I kind of just want to have a couple, I think. This is really just a need play. This is okay. uh, being a little greedy. But what would it be like to have a couple of turtle doves? Oh. <laughs> I'm so disappointed in you, man. This is, this is the last thing on my list by a long time. Last thing? Yeah. And do you know why? Why? I, mean, I don't know really what turtle doves are. But me either. It, but it reminds me of the movie Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Yeah, absolutely. When, when Kevin meets the homeless lady. Um, and, I, and keep in mind, I was a kid when that movie came out. So I remember she had like a backstory. I don't know what it is. She scared the crap out of me. She seemed kind of creepy. She went to the church. Didn't pay a run, I assume. She was at the top of the church, and birds hung out with her the entire time. If, if we're talking about turtle doves, man, last on the list. All right. Uh, I feel like there's not many left here. Calling birds and partridge in a pear tree. What else are we missing? Yeah. Is that no, it? I think that's it, man. Yeah. So with my final pick, I'm going to be taking a partridge in a pear tree. Wow, so I thought that would be the last pick is? of the draft. 
No way. I'm not sure what cartridge actually is, but I know a pear tree would be cool to have. A little fruit, a little vitamin C, a little antioxidants flowing through me. <laughs> and um, also, I also, I get a free bird with a cartridge, whatever that is. But they talk about it a lot in the song, Brent, so it must be a pretty big deal. It must be a big deal. Uh, well, I guess I'll have the four calling birds. Uh, by the way, we, we did go. not... If you um, subscribe to the 12 Days of Christmas, meaning uh, from uh, from a very religious point of view, we were not trying to be sacrilegious. Promise. Um, I apologize. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Coos, uh, can you play this video for me? Uh, all right, Austin, here's the deal. Okay. So, Ronan, uh, five, right? He's, he's going to be five in February. Okay. So he's going to be five. He's coming up on five. So he's all jacked up, yep. right, for Christmas? Of course. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's not a bad idea to maybe roll a little video on your kids or, or, or a little sneaky cam. You know, you can do okay. that with, like, those ring cameras now and stuff. Of course. This would be good. Yeah, I mean, as long as people are trying to take those things over. Yeah. Actors out there. But you can do it. And yes, sometimes you get the greatest reactions. So, Kuz, are you playing it? So right now on the video feed, you're seeing okay. 2010 version of a sneaky camera on Tyler and Kaylee when they were five years old. So this would be right around Ronan's age. Okay. It's the greatest fist pump in the that's ever existed <laughs> by Ty, and uh, then just a just a lot of love with a with a a big bear hug. Um, we won't have the audio, but the funniest part about this video, I always show this video annually. You should show it on TV. Mm-hmm. I always break it out. And I'm kind of getting to the point of I'm not sure if I should show this anymore because, like, the kids will be in high school and they probably won't like the fact that I still show this, but I show it anyway. Yeah, uh, but that's the worst thing that you got going against you, man. I think it should be fine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> probably. It's probably not the cool factor, but that's okay. Uh, best yeah. part of this uh, this video is Ty, who uh, obviously still only weighs like 88 pounds. <laughs> He squeezes Kaylee so tight uh, when they they hug each other after seeing yeah. uh, that there are gifts underneath the tree that sure. she says, like, if you could hear the other shit, Ty, stop, you're hurting me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you'll have to go back and look at the video. Oh, I'm definitely going back, yeah. It's, after this show, I'm definitely going back and checking it out. In uh, 14 years of parenting, it's the most prized possession. That I have. That's awesome. So, that awesome. Uh, so that's it. a little hint to anybody that wants to uh, uh, try to see the reaction if the kids aren't listening. But it's a good idea. Uh, what's your plans? Sure. Are you a couple of days just hanging out, uh, a little more snowboarding? Yeah, yeah. So a couple days hanging out. Like, I'm, like I said, I'm still, you know, training everything like that, obviously. So going to do some MMA tonight. Tomorrow, uh, going to chase that with some more snowboarding in the morning. And then we start like our family Christmases and things like that. So kind of get in, get out, give you know, give hugs and talk sports. I'm sure a little bit. Talk about the Packers and probably my picks against the Packers I've done this year. So I'm sure I'll get some crap for that. But yeah, overall, just a whole lot of hanging out with family, friends, whole lot of snowboarding, just a whole lot of snow. So uh, it's a, it's a pretty cool week in my book. All right, man. Enjoy the week. I uh, hope your fantasy team sucks next week. <laughs> oh, don't worry. If it doesn't, you better watch out on social media because even though. We're not going to have shows next week. I'm still going to let you know about it. All right. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for checking in. Say hello to the family, and uh, Merry Christmas to everybody up there in Wisconsin. Merry Christmas to you, too, man. Coos, Merry Christmas to you as well, dude. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Uh, Coos, uh, I thought you were going to play us out with, like, some Christmas music. I mean, come on. Let's call an audible here. We're going to end this thing in style.
By the way, you're still seeing like the kids uh, uh, right now. They're reading. You know what, what's going on here in the kids video is they're like, we left gummy bears for Santa and he didn't eat them all. So Kaylee's just can't believe that didn't eat all the gummy bears. Anyway, that's the Christmas video. 2010. Tyler and Kaylee. Do it if you get a chance. All right, Coos, Merry Christmas, bud. I know you're going to hit the road a little bit. Yep. Here's the deal with us. Uh, we will not be back this week. We have bowl games, obviously the holiday. So we're going to take ESPN programming uh, throughout the remainder of the week, unless something crazy happens, which I don't anticipate. But we'll be back next Monday uh, to talk about the uh, season finale and Black Monday in the NFL. Will it be a big day around here in Jacksonville? We'll find out. In the meantime, we'll see you on TV all week long. CBS 47, Fox 30, including tonight, Jags report live. Top Golf, Chris Conley will be there. Come on out. I'm heading over there in just a little bit. You can watch the show 7 o'clock on CBS 47. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you have a fantastic holiday. Merry Christmas to you and your families. And uh, we'll catch up with you next week on the radio side, all week on the TV side. and. Follow us on social media as well. Have a good night. See you on TV. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.